There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. <laughs> big no no! Big no no! Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh! Welcome to your favorite... <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> this is staying in, by the way. Yeah, it's... I'll put it at the end. One or the other. No, you're, you're leaving this in right now where it is because it's great and people will love it. <laughs> for the for listeners, uh, I, as I count down beginning of every episode and Mike... I, I always do something to, count, to make him laugh. Count down with his fingers, but he's in the middle finger for number one. And it just, <laughs> I'm not even sure that it threw me off. And you know, to your favorite. <laughs> well, I hope this is everyone's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hope, what's your favorite I, scary movie? Are I hope by now putting up with our bullshit. This is yes, everyone's so favorite thing. Anything goes podcast, the best geek of pop culture show broadcast in Long Island, New York. We're not going to be friends anymore. What? If you don't leave this in, we're not going to be friends anymore. Fine, this I'll leave great. it in. Will that, will that will that abstain? Will that sustain you? Yes. Okay. So we'll food, but <laughs> will you not break any more electronics if I leave this in? I'll try not to. No promises. This oh, Yoda would be devices. very disappointed with you. What? Yoda would be very disappointed. Well, he's dead, so it doesn't matter. Frank Oz is still alive. He's Frank Oz is still alive, but Yoda's dead. His spirit lives on. Yeah, and he destroyed his own ancient Jedi text, so he don't give a shit about old garbage. You see people, like, you take a negative, you spin around and make a positive, and that's what you just heard right there, and you know what? Like, I can't be mad about that. I'm just I'm just impressed for you, your, uh... That I made a ability. Last Jedi reference that works? Well, yeah, I mean, I think most of us references work if it's in the positive light. Anyway, so as you can tell in the title, we're talking about Screen 4. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, as you can tell from the title, we're talking about Screen 4. I'm host Timothy Rooney, and with me is Mike Wilson. Hi. 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 <laughs> How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm tired. Yes, me too. We we totally botched the recording of this. Like, yeah, we, okay. Uh, we got together on Saturday too late, started too late. Right, and then realized that my mic stand was not even with me because I had left it home. And we were both pretty drained. So yeah, we're so recording we were like, this on a Tuesday after we've both worked the entire day. So for, forgiveness if this is the uh, if this is the low point of the series. Right, but I don't think it's going to be because I think content wise, I mean, if the, what we're viewing won't be like that because I think. Both of us are going to be uh, a lot more positive about this one than we were at Scream Three last month. I felt that was pretty positive. You, you were more positive of the two of them, of the two of us, to say, and as if I was speaking about somebody else. I'm not talking about the ghosts that are in here. Yes, the voices in your head. <laughs> he he really didn't like Scream Three, but you did. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're talking about Scream Four. So let's jump into that right now. <laughs>
Okay. Now, after Scream 3, did you expect the Scream 4 to happen? I did because that's just how movies work and that's just how sequels work. I, I, was, I was fully expecting this to become – I was expecting it to become like We Shall See the Stab series. Where okay. You, where you just shovel out sequel after sequel. As as you all know, probably at least from the Halloween podcast, I am I am a fan of when you could tell a nice, concise ending. When you have an ending that makes sense, everything is good, loose ends are tied up, or at least as best as they can. Mm-hmm. Cough, Jamie Lloyd. Um, huh. But no, when you can when you tell a great story and you can end it instead of just letting instead of just whoring it out and, and grinding out sequel after sequel after sequel like like some poor person on a fucking it, assembly line until they drop dead. Yeah, it burns out rather than fade away. Yes, I was very proud of the fact that Scream had a concise ending in, and the fact that they were able to pull it off in the format of a trilogy. Yes. That's cool. I mean, everyone has their opinions about Scream 3. I think it's only got like a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes while 1 and 2 have in the 80s and 90s. Right. If I am correct, which I, I believe. Um, I think Scream 2 is like 87%. I think Scream, the first Scream is like 92, 93, something like that. Right. But take it or leave it, Scream 3. It It, it is a, a concise ending. I feel, see our last month's podcast, I do feel like they ended it in a great way. Everything does make enough sense. It was very conclusive. Very conclusive. And I was happy with that. You know, coming in 10 years later... I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I had my I had my hesitance. I mean, I saw the trailer and I was got excited because I love Scream, mm-hmm. and the fact that the trailer spotlighted so much the idea of that. This is now taking on, uh, as you all know, Scream is very meta in its references and in its story structure. The first one is is uh, spoofing slasher movies. The second one is sp- uh, spoofs. Slasher sequels. Yeah. Say that three times fast. Slasher sequels. Slasher sequels. Spoof slasher, slasher sequels. Spoof slasher sequels. Spoof slasher sequels. Spoof slasher sequels. Spoof slasher sequels. Yeah. Thanks, Are you staring at my headgear? <laughs> but yes. And the third one, you know, spoofing the idea of a trilogy and that all these meta things happen where the murders are patterned off these movies. Now we get into, at 2011, when this came out, remakes. Because the, the horror remake craze, you want to talk about fucking turning shit out like an assembly line? Oh, yeah. And we get to the point in the both the trailer and the movie when, when uh, Hayden Panettiere's character of Kirby is just listing off all these horror remakes when she's asked by Ghostface, name the remake of the groundbreaking. She didn't even let him finish the sentence. And she just lists like off 13, remakes. 13, like, 14 titles like that. To this day, we were watching the other day, and I still get tired. I still get tired. Mentally and physically, hearing her turn like I think to myself, has there really been that many remakes? Like, holy! And Child's Play at the time of this recording, Child's Play came out last week. Yeah, the remake finally. They did it, Tim. They made it. They finally got a Child's Play remake. Uh, I, I mean, it's the Child's Play remake we all were wanting for. Except if you really enjoyed the series and had where it was going, and I kind of like where Don Mancini's. Well, he's, still, he's still keeping it going. This is independent yeah. of him. And, so. and, and somebody, I, I think it was the. One of the co-hosts of Nightmare on Film Street, the very uh, popular horror podcast, the John said, "Like, I think going out and showing money for movies, horror movies, especially lower budget horror movies, even through the studio system, it's a good thing. And you're not betraying Don Mancini and going to see Child's Play. You don't have it doesn't have to be very tribal in that way. It's like, no, this is kind of like I like this and that's that, and I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna betray Don Mancini by going to see this remake. No." It, Going to horror movies and people showing up to horror movies, even if like they're on a lower budget, just shows that the people, the powers that be, that people still have interest in these movies. And sure, 
keep going to them. And like, sure, you'll always a remake happens unless it's like a George Lucas situation where you have new recuts of it and you don't have the original anymore. That's still going to exist, and all the memories you have are going to be tied with it. Well, to make the argument for the other side of the coin, typically when a remake happens, the old continuity is abandoned. Yes. You know? And, and a lot of times you get those, like, cliffhangers where, you know, it just was thrown, uh, you know, to the wayside. And, okay, reboot. Oh, thrown to the wayside. Remake. Like, look, look at Halloween. Yes. The cult thorn, thorn storyline abandoned. The fucking Michael surviving at the end of Resurrection abandoned, even though Resurrection should have been abandoned by everybody involved with it. It should have been abandoned in pre-production. And apparently, I found this same Nightmare on Film Street. They talked about Halloween uh, uh, H2O and Resurrection back-to-back recently. And apparently, they shot that scene where the paramedic being killed the same time they were at there for um, H2O. That was not like a reshoot for Halloween. Well, yeah, in the beginning. Cause they didn't yeah. Know. Like they knew like for, that's the, the prologue we for did Halloween co- We did cover this in... Yeah. But the point I was getting at with Child's Play is that I had no – A, I didn't give a shit because I'm not going to go see it anyway because I'm just – You don't like going to movies anymore. I just don't want to go – I just don't feel like going to the movies anymore. Nothing, yeah, you, nothing catches me. You have a very, I guess, short fuse when it comes to dealing with the public. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if short fuses like – or like you have um, – not to say attention span, but it's like a tolerance. Just, a general apathy. Yes. I have a general apathy about most things involving society these days, and, and when it comes me, to the movies, the positivity. I think I, we balance each other out that way. Well, and when it comes to going to the movies, that's the thing, though. It's like the only thing that get me really to go to the movies anymore. Is, I'm talking for a new movie because we go see Retro Picture Show, www.retropictureshow.com. Yeah, this plug is not endorsed. Yes, we go see them, you know, constantly. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to new movies, the only thing that can get me to go anymore is Batman or Halloween. Yeah. Literally, you, you didn't you didn't see so, see Solo in theaters. Didn't see didn't see actually no Batman Halloween and a numbered Star Wars movie. Okay, because I've I've seen both you know opening weekend mm-hmm. Force Awakens the Jedi. I saw Justice League Batman v Superman and I saw the new Halloween. Right, that's practically it these days. Yeah, but with Child's Play, I had this I I had the same general apathy because I'm like okay they're remaking it cool whatever you know it's, 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 if anything it's overdue, but. I feel like my ap- my apathy towards the remake was lessened when I heard that Don Mancini is going to be allowed to continue with what he's doing, right? With the the Chucky show, or continue with the whole direct to direct to Netflix or direct to direct Whatever, direct like to VOD. yeah video on demand. It's like okay, so the old thing isn't ending. Have fun, remake it, do whatever you want. I'll stop my, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay where I am. Right? You know, I'm not losing anything. Um, Typically, when you get a remake, you're losing something. That's why I think fans get so pissed. Yeah. And, the and fact- usually at the same time, the thing you're losing has been has been fucking burned to the ground and stomped on like a, like a flaming bag left on someone's doorstep. There's a reason why you can't use the exact same plot of land to farm two years in a row because you need that to be kind of uh, to come back to life and it has to rest. And that's the problem where you have with horror sequels where they come out almost sometimes yearly or two years at the minimum. And... That can lead to some kind of problems, and so that's why things end up like having remakes, and that's where we found ourselves in the early 2000s, where so many horror movies were remade, and it was ridiculous. I mean, you could you could argue it was kicked off with Gus Van Sant's Psycho in 1998, um, which was that that's the first like inkling of it, but it wasn't really officially like 
this is a success. We have to keep doing this. Was with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know what's funny too that I just thought of? Psycho is also considered of kicking off the slasher craze, yet it didn't really go into full force until years later. Well, yeah, I mean, but you had just Psycho- like with the remakes, it's, it. it Kicked off the remake craze, kind of. Yeah. But it didn't really go into full force until something later. Right. I mean, but that's the thing when, you, when it comes hmm. to the slasher genre, because you have 1960, you have both Psycho and Peeping Tom. And then in 1965, you have a Blood and Black Lace, uh, the Mario Bava film, where that's what kicks off the Jello movies. And like 1970, you have the Bird with the Crystal I love Blumen. Jello. What? I love Jello. <laughs> what kind of Jello are we going to have? The kind of ones you don't want. <clears throat> my favorite, my favorite j- joke played on someone with the whole Giallo thing. I was watching the best of the worst episode. We've said a million times how much I love red letter media, and they're discussing. Somebody mentions, okay, this movie is based off of uh, the G- Giallo. Genre. Yeah. So it cuts to Rich Evans, who's looking there. You don't really know what he's thinking. He has like the littlest inkling of just like, you know that that he's processing what's being said. And his wonderful best friend in the whole world and, and founder of Red Letter Media, Mike Snellglossa, puts a thought bubble up next to his head with a, with a picture of a box of Jello and puts a bunch of question marks underneath just to be a dick. <laughs> Mike does all the editing for... Uh... Mike and Jay, usually. Okay. And sometimes Jay lets Rich have a couple of revenge oh, things. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> because they both, they both, all of them flop. Jay is probably the least person to flub in kind of conversations to, uh, during the best of the worst. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, and so, yeah, that is a curious way because it wasn't really kicked off until years later. And then, so the, when 2003, we have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre done by Platinum Dunes, Michael Bay's company. And, and then we, we, we dust off the old fucking movie factory and just churn out remake after remake the same way they did sequel after sequel. And what was Nothing your feelings was of these movies at the time? All these remakes, you know, I didn't, time, not now. I didn't see a lot of them. That's the thing. Okay. I, I, I think I still just didn't care because mm-hmm. like I, I like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, even though I do feel was, was it really just like the, the color corrected look I feel took away a lot. Oh, it's, like, the, it's very desaturated. Yes. But I, the, the funny thing is the same cinematographer, I think it's Daniel Pearl, photographed both of them. He he did. He photographed the original and he photographed that one. Well, he was probably trying to evolve it too. Yeah, instead and, of chewing your food twice. Right, and the fact that it, like I'm pretty sure the guy who did that, the director that also did the Friday the Thirteenth remake, and they, I think he came from music videos, and it kind of shows. Because I'm really trying to think of what other horror remakes before the Halloween one I had any interest in, and Texas Chainsaw is pretty much the only one. And I think I watched it, like, over a friend's house. Like, I didn't even, like, go to the theaters or watch it myself. I saw a bootleg version of that on a really crappy DVD before I even saw it. And it was, like, a terrible quality on a small CRTV. And so, like, yeah. I, I was missing a lot of the effect of that. At the time, they just didn't interest me. Mm-hmm. I, I think same thing with, like, maybe that was the beginning of my fucking theater-going apathy. <laughs> We found the genesis of it. We found the genesis. House of a Thousand Farts. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Maybe. The um, only movie that I wish I could go under the fucking ticket taker and ask for my money back. Well, if we do the pay to get, get out marathon. We'll have to sit through it. No, it's not that one. Stones oh, it's Rejects. The other one. Which I'm actually looking forward to that one. Um, House of a Thousand Farts. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have another sequel of that coming out. 
this year. Yeah, I know. Fucking Three's Company or whatever it is. <laughs> this time Mr. Furley just likes butchering people. <laughs> Mr. Roper kills Jack because he thinks he's gay. <gasps> oh my god, it's terrible. But probably would happen in real life. Well, I'm going to butcher your fucking body up into pieces, Jack. <laughs> oh, done, nuts. <laughs> Why are you gone? I want Don Knotts alive to read uh, Donald Trump's uh, tweets. Come and <laughs> knock down our door. That'll be the. Th- that'll be the. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. Do, 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 do. Um, my feelings on the remakes because I saw a bunch of them, and even I was just like, "Oh, these are okay." I, I mean, like, I, there's a lot of them are, I had not seen. I had not seen the originals, like My Billy Valentine. I'm pretty sure I saw the remake first before I saw the original. And that was like one of the few movies I saw in 3D. I think I did see Dawn of the Dead remake before seeing the original. I think. I think so too. And I really like the Dawn of the Dead remake because it stands on its own. It's, yes, that's the it's best It's very different. Of it. That's the, I feel like that's the best way you could remake it. Right. But also at the same time too, I feel like, I may get some hate for this, I, I, I feel like as much as people may love all the characters and the situations of that, I almost feel like you could put anybody in those situations. I, I feel like it's more the zombie apocalypse situation than it is the characters and their experiences. In the remake or just zombie movies in general? I would say in Dawn of the Dead's case. Okay. Because, I mean, I mean a- any any story of survivors in a zombie outbreak is going to be somewhat interesting. Yeah. You know, even if mildly. Mm-hmm. But... I. I kind of feel like you could just put a bunch of survivors, trap them in a mall during the zombie outbreak, and whatever you get is going to be interesting. Yeah, and you see how the conflict evolves after yes. that. And, and I, like, I did review with my friend Andy DiGenova. We did review Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, so you can check that in previous episodes. And, and that, that's a, actually a lot of fun. And James Gunn's script and everything, and, like, it has a lot of weight. And it's, it's definitely – that's definitely a post-28 days later. Oh, yeah. Zombie movie, and I know, I know, Danny Boyle doesn't think Twenty Eight Days Later is a zombie movie, but that's what I say to that. Uh, Ooh, shots fired, yeah, click, click, boom, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's infected people, yes, not traditionally zombies and everything. But I just saw a zombie movie this weekend, The Dead Don't Die, and like they had people, they had zombies talking, and that they said one word, but Didn't Return of the Living Dead have running zombies too. They had running zombies, and they spoke talking zombies. Yeah. Brains. They had brains, and then brains, they had the one brains, on... Brains, 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 They had the one on the uh, operating table that they said, like, hey, I completely it's explained. the pain, go away. away. And I'm like... Brains, <laughs> I love that. brains, 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 brains. I love that somebody posted that. as like, like, when I drink coffee, it makes the pain go away. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Um... That's how they look, too, before they have their coffee. That's what I imagine what you look like early in the morning before you have your coffee. Thank you. I, I'm missing the entire lower half of my body from, like, the torso down. And when I have my coffee, it just, like, reattaches magically, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I have tits for some reason. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> um, and so... I remember seeing the trailer for it, and I mean, even in time in high school, my friend Katarina and I, like, we jokingly wrote our own version of Scream 4, and, like, she wrote her version, I wrote mine, and it was, like, it was, like, maybe, like, 30 pages of, like, a story. And I know, I would open up, I would kill, like, I, in my opening, I killed Gail off. That's, like, the one thing I remember. That's how I opened up the story, that Gail would have to die. Um, 
And so that's like, like, so, like I never thought a stream four was going to happen. And then when it came out, I was like, Oh, or when the trailer dropped, I'm like, okay, that's interesting because I was curious about Wes Craven's career after screen because he done some other odd things, but like he, like the one really good movie, I, I think it's a sorely underrated it's red eye that it's, it's Killian Murphy and, um, the woman from Wedding Crashers. Oh, I love Fisher. No, no. Was Rachel McAdams? Rachel McAdams. Okay. There we go. Thank you. Um, where they they needed her help to rearrange a political figure in a uh, hotel that she works at, and like she, Killian Murphy's on the on the red eye with her, and he's like, "I have your father," and and she has to try and do get out of that situation. Very taut and just very claustrophobic and very suspenseful. And then I remember this came out. I'm like, "Oh, okay." This I'm not sure if like my soul to take. I think came out before this. I'm pretty sure they did. And then Scream 4, so I was like, oh, maybe Wes Craven's kind of lost it or anything. But Scream 4 came out. But I'll ask, what was your first experience of seeing Scream 4? Uh, I did see it in theaters opening day. I went with some friends that also liked it too. I mean, going into it, you know, I was excited because I do love Scream. Mm-hmm. Apprehensive, though, because okay. I was extremely satisfied with how it ended. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, what's going to happen? Is this going to be the start of, like, many more, you know, sequels and I, I truly do feel like if if you're gonna if you're gonna do a soft reboot in a way, this is like one of the best. You know the the the, the sequel reboot that doesn't deny any previous thing, mm-hmm. where everything that happened before happened before, but now it's many years later and we're starting fresh. Like like even in a way, like I feel like Scream will never get remade because it already has a remake in Scream Four. That's how much they push home the idea of of. Uh, basing everything around the motif of a remake. Right. You have characters that represent other characters, and that's how the killer patterns his kills. Right. You represent you. You know, you represent... And nobody's safe. It's like, wait wait, wait a minute, what do I have to do with this, you know? And that's a scary thought. Mm -hmm. When you have a a pattern killer like that, and you don't know if you're going to be someone who resembles or represents someone that was killed before. Mm -hmm. And... I remember seeing this. I went to a Thursday night screening. I went to like 11 o'clock screening. It was like one of the first times I did that. I went that. to a Friday evening. Um, and I, like I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure one person wore a ghost face mask to the theater. And because this is before a time people really got astringent about wearing costumes to movie theater uh, outings. And so – and like the – everybody was on the same page. Everybody was jacked to see this movie and – we all left very satisfied with it, and it's funny that you mentioned the uh, Scream remake because I know, I know people wanted the idea of, after the success of Halloween last year that Blumhouse should do a remake of Scream, but then I, uh, but the argument that you just presented they already they, have like, it. They already have it. Like, how <laughs> do you, how do you do? How do you, how do you do that? How do you remake something that kind of remade itself? Yeah, and so like, <laughs> uh, and like it's. It's curious. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say it's outside the realms of possibilities that it could happen, but it's – I – How about I, we just don't? It, yeah. It, it's, like, it's like when you're really full and you see that last big piece of cake and there's something in your brain that says, don't. We really shouldn't. Yeah. Because then, then when you eat it, you feel fucking sick. Yes. And you, you just hate yourself. Just like, when you, just like when you remake movies, you shouldn't. Exactly. To quote, to quote Sidney Prescott at the end – Forgot the first rule of remakes. Don't fuck with the original. 
And it, it was like the perfect line to kind of like go out on and everything. Yeah. And, and so the movie opens up, and we uh, the fact that it's still Dimension, so before before the the collapse. Yeah, and before the. Uh, uh, wine scenes were kind of found out, and we opened up on a ringing phone. Have, like we've never seen that before, mm-hmm. with 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 a, a very familiar voice. Yes, and so we have two girls talking. Uh, one girl on the phone um, talking to Ghostface, and another girl on her. Uh, it's an it's an older BlackBerry, right? With the um, yeah, it's one of those like BlackBerry phones where the screen like flips upward. And I thought it was a two way for a second. I'm like, no, that can't be. Well, I used to have a um, what was it? An LG phone. Like that, where it flipped up and there was a keypad underneath mm-hmm. it. And, and I love that the commentary immediately starts because they all they immediately start talking about the Saw series and Jigsaw, and because this is a post Saw and hostile world. I will not use the the torture porn kind of. T- I do not like that term. And I, I, you can you can make an argument for the later sequels of Saw. That's fair. The first Saw movie is not like that, and I think even the first Hostel movie is like yes, there are torturous moments in it, but I don't think it's it's Mostly done off screen, and a lot of it is your own imagination filling in the gaps here. Well, that one of the points I always bring up about movies holding up is that if they depend on modern technology, you're fucked because eventually that technology is not going to be modern anymore. It's mm-hmm. going to be archaic. Uh, watch the original Mission Impossible, which well, I didn't no, even no, understand no, 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 back no, 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 then. Watch The Net. Okay, yes. The Net is any, watch egregious. Any, watch any early 90s freaking computer-based movie. I, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed, ironically, but giant mnemonic. Okay, and, and we are in the Keanu sense right now. So, yes. uh, and him being part of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, and I'm pissed that it's an Xbox exclusive. But anyway, it is. I'm. I thought it was. I don't think it is. Okay, I might be mistaken. I will rescind my anger for now. For now, if I find out it's exclusive, I I don't will... think so because I've been seeing deals for PS four pre orders. Okay, then never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we have these two girls, Sherry and Trudy, two young teenage girls. Uh, one of them, what is it, Trudy, I think it is. She's on her funky BlackBerry talking about her stalker she has. Yeah, she blocked him on via Facebook, and he hacked his way back in, and the fact that he had sent a photo of chest down and is a ripped six-packed person, she's like, oh, well, he's cute, I'll keep, I'll keep going. But we find out it's Channing Tatum during his Abercrombie and Fitch days, <laughs> and it's like, oh, and that's when the phone rings, and Ghostface again continues to call and yes. harass them. Yes, the telephone keeps ringing, as, as usual, and... The more they get pissed off, the more he gets fucking pissed off. So he threatens, you know, not to not to hang up or else he's going to fucking kill him. Mm-hmm. So he hands the phone to Trudy and he says, this is the last person you're ever going to see alive. They think it's just a prank, you know. Wait, like, And I love, like, the Ghostface dialogue in this movie is, Mwah. like, he's got some really choice dialogue. And, like, Roger Jackson is back to... It's very angry. Yo, Yeah. And especially when it comes to the character Trevor later on, just like does this, this sound like a fucking Trevor here? Yeah. But anyway, the phone rings again, and she decides to hang. Uh, Sherry decides to hang it up, but then Trudy gets a text from her stalker saying, "Answer the phone." And that's when it started to get real creepy. I remember that in the theater that everybody's kind of like shifting in their seats a little bit. I'm like, "Oh, that's that's a little uncomfortable." Well, they go to check to see that the doors are locked and the uh, doorbell rings. She, and the whole time, Sherry just thinks it's a joke. It's all bullshit. It's Somebody's all, playing a prank on us. Don't worry. A, yes. You know, and, and Trudy's just not having it. No, Trudy's being the rational person here. Like, don't fuck with this person and keep keep treat the situation seriously. Yes. So, so Sherry opens the door. She goes to look outside. And as usual, there's nobody there. 
So when she comes back in, she tells Trudy, there's nobody out there. And Trudy gets a text saying, I'm not outside. I'm right beside you. And that's yeah. when Ghostface pops out and kills Trudy. But then we cut back to Sherry, and another ghost face from outside from outside that was hiding out there comes and fucking slits Sherry's neck. And that's the first time we've ever seen... Uh, two of them at the same time. We don't see them in the same frame. We don't see them in the same frame, but we see two ghost faces at the same time right there. And it's something that, that we have to point out now is that this is the first, like, screen movie that uses uh, green screen and computer-generated effects um, very often. Um, a lot of it was uh, retractable blades, and as some, and as well as some CG blood. But I don't think it's anything is too egregious or, or obnoxious. And like you, you immediately you're taken out of the, the fact that like, oh, that's just fake blood there. No, I, I'm convinced. Right, and but then we pull out it's stab six. Yes, we we see a credit, and then it's actually for stab six. Apparently, they've still been making the stab movies, and it turns out the whole time watching it were the characters of Rachel and Chloe, played by our little cameos here of Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell. Yeah. And have you have you only seen Anna Paquin since that uh, Geese movie or Fly Home or something like that? Fly this is a home. very different Anna Paquin here. Or X-Men or, or X-Men. Oh, True Blood. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, this is definitely her True Blood days here. And that she's criticizing the fact that every horror movie has to be meta and everything is just so predictable that it has to be like kind of oh it's got to be smarter than the audience here and Kristen Bell saying how she likes it it's just very simple you yeah. know it's a guy with a knife and you never know when somebody's gonna snap, snap how it could really happen but Anna Peck when she's not no no she's not having any of it she's like really going after this and she's being very very, very cynical angry. yeah and just very obnoxious about it. And she's like, and she even claims like you can see everything coming. Yeah, how it's predictable. It repeats. Right. And that's when Christabel stabs her in the stomach. You, but you could see Christabel getting progressively madder, madder. And then she fucking pulls out and knife just boom right in the stomach. Ask her, did that surprise you? And then she stabs her again. This is why? Because you talk too much. Now shut and, the and, fuck and, up and, and watch the movie. Now, it was anybody who's dealt with obnoxious people in the movie theater... Everybody like it was just like probably just cheered right there because it, uh, um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to movie theater experiences is that people talk during the movie. Just I'm sorry, the what we're there for is one on the screen. Shut the fuck up and watch the movie. Any questions? Wait until the end. But anyway, Kristen Bell takes the remote. She goes to hit play again, and then the credits roll out. Stab seven. And you're like, wait. What? Wait, what? And then you pull up, there's two more girls watching the <laughs> two TV. Two more girls. We now are introduced to Jenny Randall and Marnie Cooper, played by Amy Teagarden and Britt Robertson. And there's a whole new generation of actors, actress, actors and actresses, too. Maybe yeah. I've never heard of. Right. And we're just like, we've gone through like inception levels of, yes, of, movies, sad, movies. Uh, of movies right here. Well, what's funny is that the, uh, the point that uh, Marty tries to make is like, so wait. This is illogical. This begs the question, is the beginning of Stab 7, Stab 6, and is... That That's is, the case. Is Stab 6 the opening, is Stab 5 the opening of Stab 6? Yeah. Because, and seriously, go in-universe for a minute and just think about this. Imagine you just rented, if, well, that was still a thing back in 2011, right? Yeah. Or say you just, oh my God. Netflix DVD did. Oh my God, Stab 7 is out. I got to watch this. You put it in and you, you might think for a minute, did I get a defective disc? Did I get the, because you're seeing the beginning of Stab 6. Right. <laughs> and then you, you pull out and you're like, wait. With the just, whole Trudy and Cherry thing. And it's like, will you wait even that long to see Anna Paquin and, and um, Kristen Bell? Kristen Bell. And, and you're just like, w like, what's going on here? And the fact that it, it is playing with the rules because 
the stab movies are supposed to be po- they're parodies of the screen movies, yeah. and I, I assume those parodies are very meta as well. And like how Marty tries to explain, it, like, oh, it's like the Twilight Zone here. Yeah. And and she, she like uh, trees is like like um, like. And then she starts to part the point at the illogical points of this series here, and then like Marty's like, um, "I think you're overthinking it." That's Jenny. Jenny, oh, excuse me, my my mistake. Jenny's Jenny. like, uh, "You're overthinking it." And then Marty's like, "Am I or did somebody write underthink it there?" Yeah. And they talk about how, you know, this is based on real. Oh, this is based on real life. You know, I mean, we come from the town that. Uh, uh, made these movies, you know, that these movies are based on. Right. So now... Only the first three. Well, that's how we can kind of tell that this is not another movie within a movie within a movie within a movie. Yeah. Whatever. Apparently, they're from Woodsboro. Mm. And like you said, for the first three, because Jenny uh, reveals that after the third one, which inevitably was made, Mm -hmm. you know, Sidney Prescott threatened to sue. Yeah. She sued him, so they took her story out of it and just made it some generic fucking horror movie. And apparently, Stab 5 has time travel. Which I I guess guess it's a, a... Poking at when horror movies go into space, I think that's, that's making fun of like Jason X and Leprechaun and Pinhead and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's but, when they hear something upstairs. Yep, they're interrupted. So Jenny goes upstairs to investigate alone, of course, because that's course. what you do. Leave Marty right by back. herself, and the house phone rings, and Ghostface is talking to her. And then it's when Marnie's like, who is this? And then, like, Ghostface is the last person you see live. But then we cut to Jenny upstairs. She's using an app to yep. use Ghostface's voice to call her. So this is still relevant, the idea of apps and everything, you yeah. know? But as Jenny's on the phone with Marnie, she hears her choking, and the line all of a sudden goes dead, and then she hears the sound of crashing coming from downstairs. Right. And then as she goes down to investigate, all she finds is the landline just sitting there on the floor. Yep. Now, what's interesting, there is an alternate opening, which we will get to, with Deleted scenes and our thoughts oh, on those at the end. you want to wait for that at the end, end or you want to do that now? Yeah, we can do it at the end. Okay. But, you know, she's looking around. The, the lights are out. Jenny talks about how Marnie doesn't have the app on her phone, but Ghostface calls again. Yeah. And, you know, she thinks it's, she thinks it's like, someone she knows. Right. And But then she's saying... Saying this is a horror movie, you're the dumb blonde with the big tits, and like, and Jenny's like, I like, I have a 4.0, and like, I have an IQ of 135, mm-hmm. and, and she's just like, this being, wanting to know what happens to Marnie, and then we she's find on the out, cutting room floor, yeah, and like, make a lot of Pretty cutting clever. puns there, and that's when they toss Marnie's body through the window, and she's dead, and. You know, Ghostface, he comes out. Gives chase. He gives, he gives chase. He's just as fast as always, stabbing through a door and getting it stuck mm-hmm. while, you know, the victim runs up the stairs. Right. So, uh, unfortunately, she does not have a bicycle or a piano or no, grandma nothing, to throw at her. nothing like a scary movie. But Jenny <laughs> yeah. gets to an area of the house that seems to be under renovation or building. It's very... Uh, it leads down to the garage. Right. That's where he gets her once. And, and she falls down the flights of stairs, and Jenna tries to uh, crawl away from uh, Ghostface here. I'm sorry. But I she, had to make one Forrest Gump joke uh, here. She hits the garage door opener, and she's crawling and crawling and crawling. And the minute she, we see we see Ghostface in the background, he stops the door. She notices it, but she still tries going anyway. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? I don't know, but she decides, like, 
Ghostface starts to be Bane right there and breaks her back with a garage door. Oh, he closes it on her right on the spot where I feel like if someone were to do to me right now, I would feel so much better. Right. Like, I kind of just need, like, a garage door closed on my back just to make the pain go away. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, if you want, we can do that with your garage door later. It, yeah. No, mine is old-fashioned. you got to pull the fucking thing. It doesn't have some weak-ass motor. So oh, I can okay. see you, you know, pulling a little bit, like, why isn't this going? And trying getting more momentum, and then all of a sudden I'm paralyzed from the waist down, and I lose the new job I just got. Okay, yeah. But anyway, you know, Ghostface kills her. Yep. Credits, Scream 4. Scream 4! We get a nice shot of Woodsboro, and on many of the traffic lamps in downtown Woodsboro, someone has put Ghostface costumes on it. Because it's the anniversary of the Woodsboro murders. Now, they don't fully define, because I've seen syno- plot synopses mm-hmm. that describe it as the 10th anniversary, but... The movie was made in 2011, or it came out. So that would be I the think 15th. it's the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. That's what my guess would be. But I've also heard I've also heard tenth of the of Scream Three, which it kind of isn't. If you want to round down, so uh, for all intents and purposes, we're going to go with because because this plays on the whole idea of remake fifteenth anniversary of the original. Yeah, that's what we're going to go and, with. And something we didn't bring up beforehand is that one of the things that came, that brought this project to life is the fact that uh, Kevin Williamson came back to write. He wrote the original initial script for <clears throat> for this movie. However, Aaron Kruger was brought in during production to kind of punch up the script there. Yet again. Yet again. And even, like, Craven was kind of, like, dismayed by that decision there. hmm And, yeah, I mean, with the rewrites, um, apparently... Where is it? Apparently that the actors were not given the 140-page script past... Uh, page 75 in order to protect the identity of Ghostface. And we, we, I mean, even Screen 3 made fun of the, the lengths that the filmmakers were willing to go to protect the identity of the killer and the revelations that happened at the end of the movie. So it makes sense they would do that. And it is curious here because, okay, so Russ Craven's back, same cinematographer. I think, I don't think Patrick Lucier is back to edit this movie, but, Photography-wise, this one looks a little different compared to the other three. I did notice that. It's almost got like a softer look to it. And I think somebody pointed this out why. Because I always thought this looked very cheap in comparison to the first three. And this was an outlier compared to that. What was the the key thing about those remakes in the early 2000s um, visually? That they all looked glossy. That they all looked like they were trying to look like Oh, it was like perfume commercials or something like that with um, these horror movies or anything. Like they look kind of flashy in comparison to the originals. With some of them could look very gritty and almost obscene at times. So I think that's what I think that was a conscious choice on this movie to make it look like those kind of early two thousands remakes. Okay, I mean, like if you you look at the the Evil Dead remake versus the first Evil Dead, and obviously one shot on. That was shot digitally versus something that was shot in 16 millimeter film. Of course, they're going to look very different, and so I think that's why they did it here. But another thing is here with we see here at Woodsboro as Sydney approaches the bookstore where uh, where she's doing a book signing and like kind of a Q and A is that we're not in California anymore. Not in Kansas anymore, Toto. No, we're in Michigan. That's where they shot um, this movie, and I think this was at the time before. Michigan, um, like elected, like I guess, like a more conservative, I think, governor, which kind of like ended the ties with the kind of 
and decide to poison his uh, citizens by not taking care of their drinking water. Yeah, that's just fucked up for what happens in Flint there, and it is ridiculous. It is indefensible what they did there for profits. Um, and then they've kind of pushed out the Hollywood deals and everything. Like, like one of the last big things that was shot in Michigan was BVS. And after that, like, everything with the fucking Georgia. So, yeah. So it's unfortunate that this was not shot in California. But I think this is a pretty good stand-in for town-wise and kind of vibe with it. And even the guy at school looks very similar to it. You could think it's gone through renovations over 15 years. Right. Maybe to get away from the, the, the stink of what happened there. Right. And so Sydney uh, approaches yep. her bookstore, uh, the, the bookstore where she's going to have it, because her book, uh, was it Out of Darkness? I think that's Out of the Darkness. Yep. We are reintroduced to good old Sydney Prescott. Nev Campbell is wonderfully back. Yes. She's driven into town by her publicist, Rebecca Walters, played by the always delightful and lovely Alison Brie. Yes. So I have a huge crush on. Mm-hmm. But Sydney comes in and she sees all these like lampposts on the street decorated with ghost face masks. And she kind of just laughs it off. She kind of. Yeah. Like, Sydney's gone through a lot of changes. She's written a book about, you know... She's taking control of her life. Taking control of your life and trying not to be so depressed about everything anymore. So, we cut to a bedroom where um, the song Axel F from Beverly Hills Cop plays on a ringtone, and it's Dewey. Of course, he would have the Axel Foley theme as his uh, ringtone. And Dewey gets out of bed actually looking better than we've ever seen before. Yeah. Better than we've seen since the original. And next to him rolling over is Gail. They've been married for 15 years now. Or no, 10 years. 10 years years by this point. 10 years by this point. Dewey is now the sheriff. Apparently, and they don't explicitly say this, they kind of pulled a Rocky Six here. Uh, I can only assume Dewey's undergone intense physical therapy. Because he's, he's gotten full mobility, everything back. He's a cop again. He's now the sheriff. Yeah. So, fucking, this town... I guess he this, this stopped the most... st- st- uh, sticking, like, um, things into outlets, I hope. I, I, maybe that... Maybe that like, re-energ- for him? Maybe that re-energized the nerve centers of his brain that weren't working anymore for that arm. Now, I just imagine, like, that happening, that we cut to, like, See, that's a 3D, ba- like, CG version of his DNA and, like, his nerve endings fixing. fixing. It's it's that bad angly CGI from Hulk. Oh God! <laughs> and we see it like panel and panel and yes. panel and panel. That, and this teaches a bad message, kids. If you're paralyzed, do not stick fucking. If you have nerve damage, do not stick a fork, a in, fork in the outlet a or, or a pair of tweezers in the outlet. I think it was tweezers, whatever the hell he had. But yeah, he had do not do that. But yes, Dewey is now the sheriff, and apparently Woodsboro has become the safest town on. In the universe, I would say. Not even Earth, not even Mars, not even the Milky Way galaxy. I would say the universe where Dewey fucking Riley can be the sheriff. And they don't like them. He probably doesn't even have jaywalkers uh, in his town. That's how safe it is. I, I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous here. And we'll, while he's going out to his truck and it's like he's being all very hunky-dory, and that's when a speeding car flies by him. Yes. And it's um, Hayden Panettiere, her character of Kirby, and... Uh, Yep, and Dewey just yells at her, and she says, oh, shit, sorry, Sheriff, she's got her music fucking blasting. So, driving down the street, you know, feels a little confident now. Okay, I got away from the cop, but she pulls up to a house, beeps the horn, and out comes Emma Roberts, her character of Jill. Yes. Uh, And as we learn shortly, Jill is the younger cousin of Sydney. Right. And And they're discussing how Jill's boyfriend, recently broken up boyfriend, Trevor, has been calling them. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and calling her friends, we were calling um, Kirby and the other girl who just gets into the car with well, them. No, he called Jill. Right. And and uh, called their other friend, Olivia, who has just gotten in the car. Right. So Jill and Olivia have received calls. Kirby has not. Okay. So 
as they're driving, they talk about <clears throat> they ask about have you seen the Angel of Death? Apparently, Sydney's reputation has not been uh, wonderful. No, I mean because like the joke is like wherever she goes, death follows her. Yes, and Hayden Bettier, like I, I've. They've had like a crush on so like since Remember the Titans because we were around the same age and stuff like that, or she's a little bit older. And here, like, uh, and like, not many people can pull up that kind of short hair look, and she does it wonderfully here. Mm-hmm. And Emma Roberts is like she just has so much like charm here as uh, as Sydney's cousin, and so just like it's like okay, like we we kn- we know. A lot of people coming back for the original characters, but this movie is not going to forget the new characters that are here. No. And I have mixed feelings on Emma Roberts as an actress. I, I, I do feel she can pull off a competent role, but I, I don't – has she been nominated for any Oscars? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't see her having everything that Julia had. No. But she, she – I'm not, cr- she I'm not cringing when I watch her. Is she more Eric in that regard? Well, we'll see if she goes direct, direct to fucking video by the time she's in her early 30s. <laughs> He's, uh, I can't, uh, I'm still gobsmacked that he shows up in the Dark Knight. TV's Eric Roberts. <laughs> I just remember, remember um, in The Cable Guy when they had like the TV movie within the movie about the court cases going on? Brother, sweet brother. The Eric, and Eric Roberts was playing both brothers and, because they're making fun of Ben Stiller's court cases going on within the movie. I always think of that way. I think of Eric Roberts. No idea why. It is strange. I, I I think of like I remember seeing him once in like some weird fucking like Cinemax like softcore porn movie. Oh, with a, like what, what Sharon Tweed was also in that as well. I don't think she was in that, but it, it was along those lines. It, oh, it was boy. that level. So it's like, jeez. Yeah, you know, sometimes eating off the floor, I guess, does work <laughs> as long as you're eating. And so, as these girls are on their way to school, they get a call from Ghostface. Jill does anyway. Jill gets a call. It, they believe it's Jenny Randall. Now yeah. we know it's not because Jenny was just fucking murdered. Yeah. But he's asking, "What's your favorite scary movie?" And you know, they put it on speaker, and th- they're kind of startled because uh, Olivia says she got a call just like that from Marnie Cooper that morning. Right. And. Kirby, right then, you know, turns around and was like, what? And that's when, uh, for a nice jump scare, a fucking huge truck just goes by because Kirby wasn't paying attention and ran a stop sign. Yeah. Beeping and everything. It made everyone in the audience, you know, uh, jump. I mean, we, 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 we watched jumped. this the other day. We both of us jumped and we were just like. <sighs> and the one thing they say is, oh, the angel of death. Like, yeah, like Sydney's presence is, is to blame for your shitty driving. Exactly. So in downtown, you know, the cops are taking everything down. And we're also introduced to the, the uh, deputy, played by what the fuck was her name? Oh, uh, Jesus! Um... Crap, I can't forget. Marley Shelton, good old Marley Shelton, playing Deputy Judy Hicks. Yes, and she's kind of like buddy buddy with Dewey. Yeah, she's all flirty with him. And she wants to be the number one deputy in town and everything yep. like that. She even like makes him lemon squares and stuff. <laughs> and, and, and she could, and she even mentions how she has a tense relationship with Gail. Yeah, and because Gail sees her as somebody who's trying to steal her husband away from her. Yeah, and like, and she does like Judy Hicks kind of comes off as a try hard a little bit to be the best cop in town. Yep. And it makes a joke with some fucking sexual innuendo that at least we made of like, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Like, well, depending on which lemon square we're talking about, oh! lady, maybe he is. 
but yeah. they got a call over the radio to go to uh, Marnie's house and say it's bad. Sheriff. Yeah, and so two of them speed off, sirens blaring. The phones hide out there. Yep. And so then we cut back to Courtney Cox watching the interview of Cindy Prescott that happened earlier about on her uh, press her book tour. And, like, how she's, like, took control of her life and, like, her and Gail are on good terms and everything. And Gail is like, you know what? I'm going to start writing a new book. But (laughs) (laughs) she starts it out. Chapter one. I have no fucking idea what to write. Like, very. Because she, 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 she has nothing. She has no like, kind of inspiration in her life right there. She's kind of a little bit rut here. Life has been pretty normal these past ten years. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there's no, I guess, uh, drama other than like regular um, marital stuff that that would kind of like help um, through like maybe kind of a story, but it's not the kind of story that Gail likes to write and tries to pursue. Yep. But now at uh, Woodsboro High School, we are introduced to Robbie Mercer, played by Eric Knudsen, a.k.a. not Michael Sarah or all those guys that played the fucking pathetic nerds back then. Yeah. He looks just like them. It's so funny that they mentioned the Was he one of them? What? Was he one of them? What? Eric Knudsen, like one of those people like a fucking Michael Sarah. No, in the movie, I I recognize him. He was in Saw 2. Okay. As Donnie Wahlberg's son in that movie, and it's so funny that they mentioned the Saw franchise here. Um, that's I don't remember him elsewhere. I mean, like I could, I could kind of get confused with Anton Yelchin. Obviously, Anton Yelchin is no longer with us, and it's a great loss. But like, I, he's in that kind of vein of like kind of a type of an actor in that time. But he has this annoying as fuck headset with like a little camera on it because he's live blogging or live streaming or what was, was live streaming even a thing in 2011 if it was it's like brand spanking new or vlogging whatever it is maybe he's just recording it to upload later no like because a, one, a little bit later curry pulls up her phone and she's watching the stream oh okay so he is live brought he's live streaming his his high school life and he calls it hall pass now so scream 4 predicted live streaming the same way robocop predicted dvds yes okay and it's not the only thing that it predicts but because of the, the killer the complete collapse of the... detroit oh. <laughs> <laughs> i even love how detroit kind of got mad about the idea of putting up a robocop statue because i think it's a violent movie and kind of that's how it portrays detroit and i'm like that might be the only fucking beacon of hope you have left in your fucking town is a Robocop. I know, he's a friend of and mine. And someone will fucking spray paint kick me on the back of it, just like in Robocop 2. Good morning. <laughs> like, Good morning. <laughs> he's dead, Murphy. You're reading Miranda to a corpse. You have the right, right to, to remain, remain silent. silent. Anything you, you say and do can and will be used against corpse. you in a court of law. I am having, having trouble. trouble. <laughs> Which is our go-to whenever we are having trouble. We always say it like Robocop there. Waste makes haste. <laughs> a rolling stone is worth two, two in, a bush. in the bush. Get back! Blam, 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 blam. Oh, fuck a refrigerator, Peckerneck. <laughs> Thank you for not, for not smoking. smoking. Okay. Isn't the moon lovely tonight? It's still so daytime. It's the, the thought, thought that counts. counts. They should make a whole movie like that, which is fucked up Robocop. I want a Robocop, Robocop soundboard that we can play throughout the show. Yes. And so we'll just drop those kind of quotes throughout the movie. I'm having trouble. I'm and I start having... stuttering. <laughs> but anywho. Yeah, and so, okay. Live streaming in 2011. What is his data plan? And what kind of quality is yeah. going up? I mean, does, is the school's Wi-Fi that good? I don't know. I don't remember. That's the thing. I don't know. I only started working in a school in 2014, so I couldn't tell you. Right. Okay. But just for context, what was the Wi-Fi like in 2014? Um, good enough. Could you live stream from it? Maybe. Okay. Possibly. I don't right. know because I don't really know what it takes. True. I, I have. I think I had like 50 up and 50 down. 
okay. back then. That's, and now I've got like 100 up, 100 down. That's cool. Um, in tw- that was in 2014. 2011, I have no fucking idea. Anyway, I don't even know if I had one. It's probably 20 up or 20 down. I bet you that. Probably. Anyway, he's not alone when it comes to the kind of Randy analog to this movie. Yep, we are. Uh, as um, He's interrupted because the three girls, you know, walk up and he's trying to talk to them about the anniversary of, you know, the Woodsboro murders and everything. But joining them is Charlie, played by Rory Culkin, Euronymous himself. Lords of Chaos! Uh, is this a death-like silence? Death-like silence! Oh, yeah, this is, this is the story. Yeah, this is death-like silence. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I yeah. still have to watch my Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, I forgot you totally got that. Yeah. We gotta do that one day. Yeah. Well, um, and so... Rory Culkin, so... He's a huge crush on Kirby. Yes. And proving that he's uh, not just a kid from Signs, that he's able to have a career after that movie. Oh, yes. Um, And so Kirby and Jill are in school talking about dealing with Trevor here. Her boyfriend Trevor, yeah. Yeah, as Jill has her locker open and have her framed here that's on the right side of of it. In a a total film student shot, she closes it, and there he is standing behind it. But (laughs) as the shot opens up, you see a statue in the far side of the left of the frame. Apparently, in the deleted scene, that's where... Prince, you see the statue for Principal Hembry. They made a memorial bust for Principal Hembry. Which for the does kind of look like Henry Winkler. It's not like what's... It kind of has the fond smile, too. Like, I, oh, it's it a shame it's thumbs. a bust. If, if the bust had the thumbs, that would have hey. made it work. <laughs> hey, I'm done! Hey, Don't forget I'm me! Warm food. Um, but Trevor's begging to get Jill back. You know, Kirby buggers off. So he's pleading for her. And apparently, apparently they had a bit of a breakup. A bit of a bad breakup, you know? She- yeah, because apparently Trevor um, cheated on her, and Jill, like, um, does not forgive, nor does she forget. Oh, no, 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 no. But um, Robbie's right there. He sees the whole thing, and he asks, what's your favorite scare? He, you know, he's trying to get an interview with him right after he got, you know, publicly shut down. And everything. Publicly shut down. He asks, what's your favorite scary movie? And he just, ah! I'll show you. And makes him run away, because, yep. boo. So Gail arrives at the bookstore. Uh, right. Pretty much to catch Sydney at the end of uh, her little, you know, spiel, spiel, speech, press conference. And she has like a little bit of like whatever happened to Baby Jane moment right there, just saying like what kind of person she used to be, and like that's what Gail used to be. She used to be the center of attention like that, having a, a best bestseller book out there that people would flock to go see. Mm-hmm. And now Sydney's that one in the role. And they're Becky, happy to see each other. She doesn't get punched in the face. No, like I'll send you a copy. Just wax her with a, the book or anything. I believe be she cool. uses the line. I know where you can get a copy. <laughs> so, but Dewey arrives and oh, him and the squad, squad uh, a half banana squad, like pull up like they're uh, the like, deuce of hazard in there. Well, Dewey starts with a nice hug, but then you know everybody comes in. Fucking uh, Ju- Hicks comes in, and apparently it's a big crime scene and. Uh, Judy Hicks, Deputy Hicks, she doesn't want to say anything to um, to uh, Gail. And alar- alar- alarm the crowd here or anything like that. But Gail's like, he's my husband, you, you know, he's mad. He, apparently the phone um, used in the, the murder of Marnie and Sherry was traced to his around location. there. And so they go outside because it's actually outside in a trunk of a car. But what, what trunk is it? It's actually Sydney's rental. Rental car. And so uh, Alison Brie tosses in the keys and opens up is... Covered in blood is just it is ripped up posters of of Sydney's book How to Darkness, and has a phone knife and blood smeared all over Sydney's face. Yep, and also a ghost face mask. So it is thinking that just when you, in the words of the Godfather, so I thought they was out. They pull pull me me back back in. in. Hoo ha! 
<laughs> but cut into class uh, in uh, Woodsboro High. Apparently, everybody has the same class together. Yes. Apparently. Every single student's phone and starts going off at once. Two and... people don't really react, though, in this scene. Really? They're, at least one of them just kind of like, just like kind of half-heartedly does it. I noticed that this time around. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. But anywho, we find out that Jenny and uh, Jenny Randall and Marty Cooper were murdered. All of a sudden, the kids go up to the window. There's the, there's the fucking Oh, my God. It like, looked like they were in the Blues Brothers chase or something like that. Like, that's how fast they were gunning down the street there. Yep. So... Back at the police station, Gail tries one of uh, Hicks's lemon squares and goes to talk to Duty, but Hicks will not let him in. Uh, duty? What? You said, you said Duty. Duty? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? He might as well be Duty. <laughs> I mean, he's not as... Thanks for having Duty. <laughs> I made poopy. I made Duty. You made was, Duty. Oh, That was good. And, and so, Judy Hicks is trying to hold the line here. They're like, oh, no, you're a civilian here. You have no grounds to talk to the sheriff right now. And Gail's like, get the fuck out of my way. I want to talk to my husband now. Yep. So, du- so Duty <laughs> opens the door, lets Sid out, who is talking to her, and brings her in. And apparently, uh, it Dewey thinks that it wasn't made public knowledge that there's another murder. He, like, pulls her in because he doesn't want to startle everyone. And he says, that's not public knowledge. It's all over the internet. It is. Yeah, yeah. I lo- so he might. I'm gonna call him Duty from now on. I, I love like this shit. In, <laughs> His sheriff skills in, are in the shit. trailer. There's a different take of that. Like, he, like the take that he used the trailer. He was more like it is. Like he, he was like really. Oh, you mean dumber? <laughs> it, it was kind of a part time, part time, and part time kind of situation between part time, part time. And Indiana Jones last uh, uh, Crystal Skull. I was, I almost said the last crusade. Wow. But Dewey, he begins the uh, the pattern of kind of just being dismissive of Gail, of not wanting to get her involved, even though Gail wants to help because she, as in her words, I wrote the book on this. I literally wrote the, the book, book on this, this, the Woodsboro Murders. So, but Dewey, he just keeps like kind of shutting her down, like he doesn't want to accept her help. He doesn't want to let her get involved with this. Do we ever really find out why? Is he just I- worried for her safety? I guess it's, it's what's unsaid, but I don't know if it's just like the fact that she's not a reporter anymore. Yeah. I think that's the kind of the real seeds of that conflict there. And like that's what Gail's trying to prove. They're like, hey, I'm still a good reporter here, and you're not taking me seriously. You're just putting me in a corner of just being the doubting wife here. But no, I'm capable woman is able to handle the situation, and you do not believe in me. Yeah, that, and, and we see it repeat itself several more times as we go on. Right. But Gail basically says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure this shit out for myself. I'm going rogue." So she's, she has a plan. And we had a rogue in this movie too. Yes, and she was killed. Yes, unfortunately. Yep. She couldn't steal Wolverine's uh, healing powers. No, there. and 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 Magneto's fucking spinny gyroscope on top of the Statue of Liberty didn't kill her either. <laughs> I mean, that's how she got Or cause her hair to go gray. I, I mean, didn't her hair go gray because she stole the powers from Captain Marvel? Or she already had the hair and then she stole the, the powers? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love the joke is the fact that, like, so we made a meme of, of um, Brie Larson just like, like, uh, like Captain Marvel, you should be you should be scared. Disney owns X Men now. Why? Because they have Rogue now. And it's like it showed a scared photo of Brie Larson because like, oh, she's gonna steal your powers now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but on her way out, you know, Gail decides to tell Hicks, "Your lemon squares taste like ass." <laughs> she said to give that. And Dewey has to reassure her. They don't. They they really don't. I think just being nice to it. And then we're introduced to one of the other deputies, uh, played by Anthony Anderson here. Uh, Deputy. What was he, Perkins? I think I so. I think actually his name is actually Anthony Perkins in this <laughs> character's name. But 
the girls have all arrived to report that they got the threatening calls. Yes. You know, from Trevor's phone and that morning from fucking Marnie and Jenny's phone. So Sid comes in. Apparently, Sid never really gets to see her family very much. No. Her and her and uh, Jilla are a bit on the estranged side. They only see each other every now and again. I guess so. I haven't seen her in years, but it's it's got to be kind of weird that you have a family member that's a infamous celebrity, and how do you deal with that going forward? Yeah. Well, anywho. Yeah. Uh, they talk about how it was, um, you know, the killer from the Stab movies. And Kirby even says, I mean from your life, you know? <laughs> like, oh, you know. Kirby's not being very tactful in the scene. Oh, no. She she is like, got two left feet and, like, fucking ugly shoes when she's trying to well, dance this right now. So does Dewey when they report how the, uh, Olivia and Jill got calls, but not Kirby. And she's like, oh, my God, is that me? Could I be next? And they're like, kill me next. And Dewey says, no. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and, and it goes to that reaction shot of Hayden Paisley. Like, really? Like, that, that's not that reassuring whatsoever. There's a reason why we're going to call you duty from now on. Duty. <laughs> You're a duty sheriff. You're a goody little two-shoes. So we got little two-shoes. Yeah, so we got the whole idea that because the phone was found in Sid's car that everybody, anyone could be a suspect. So And then she cannot leave that she's a potential material witness yep. there. So it's not like Sydney can just leave here. But outside, um, Rebecca... The publicist is on the phone talking to, I guess, her publisher, her agent, whatever. Yeah. Apparently, she thinks these murders are awesome because they're going to yeah, because get... it's just great PR for the situation that she's in right now. Oh yes, she, and she, 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 she can exploit it any way possible because she's being very Gail Weathers right now. And speaking of, that's when she goes, she goes up to Gail Weathers saying, "Hey, you're my '90s. You're the reason why I do yep. this." She was, she was very influenced, and Gail, you could tell, is like clearly like pissed off at her. Like she thinks that she's just a fucking piece of shit. Gail, we could tell, has tried to get away from her old life. Yeah. And and this girl just says all the worst things. Like, oh, any plans to revitalize your tarnished brand? It's- yeah, and, and, I, and I just love this moment here because it's just the two shots. They back up and we track with them. And you just see the blood is starting to boil on Courtney Cox's face right there. And then she turns to face her and just like... In about two seconds, I'm going to revitalize your tarnished brand with my fist. And then like, and like ah! it just runs away. And like, I love Courtney Cox. Like, I still got she it. turns around and walks away and says, I still got it. And it's like almost like a fist pump moment right there if you're a Gale Weathers fan. It, 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 right there. And it's fantastic. And so later on, we cut to Sydney Pre- Maureen Prescott's sister's house. Yes. Uh, I forget what the name of her uh Her character. Was. But it's weird because we've never heard of Maureen having a sister. I mean, Graham, we don't have that much uh, history of the Prescott or uh, or Evans, I should say, uh, lineage um, going forward, uh, really outside of Maureen. So it makes – Kate. It, what? Right. Your sister's name is Kate. Played by? Somebody. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I forget the actress's name here. I forget too. She's kind of there in most of the movie, like her her – her one like emotional state is just like kind of like floaty and like her depressed. one scene where she gets to really emote was cut out of the movie. Yeah, and and so they kind of talk about like they're talking about Sid and like oh I bet she's covered in scars and how and Kate says oh, oh I've got scars too they're on the inside yeah oh, I we're meant, talking like, about physical ones like, yeah. oh. Okay. Jill's like, I think she means knife scars, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so then we cut to the inside of the living room where Dewey and Sid are having this very intimate moment here. Just like kind of talking. Not sexual intimate. No, but like... there is a look at the end of the scene because they're having a conversation like of like how's the relationship between her and Gail going on and everything. And they're just like oh, a little worried about here. And there's one moment. There's a 
there's a beat when they both stop speaking. They both just kind of look at each other, just like kind of lovingly. And you, you could read into it that it's just being like a big brother and little sister kind of thing, mm-hmm. or just like friends, or you could just like write like there could have been something there. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's something that's what Wes Craven said in the commentary track that he, that he wanted that intentionally to be in there. I can see that, even though like throughout most of their lives, it was more of a big brother, big sister because you know that was his sister's best friend. Yeah, and when his sister died, he kind of and when his sister died, and her and him kept reliving these same fucking events, you know, they became like family, you know? Yeah. We are family. I'm going to stab my long lost sister with this. Yeah, that, that, that works. Uh, yeah, that works. Yeah, but sure. Dewey leaves, so Jill goes to her room, and Trevor's in there. Trevor has snuck in, a la Billy Loomis. Yeah, very Billy Loomis here, but he's looking so fucking sketchy, dude. He's so fucking, and there are cops outside, and he was able to evade them. And he's like, oh, no cop's going to stop me yeah. or anything like that. And they're try- and it's just something about him. He's just like, is it – because we're all fans of this movie. We know that Billy Loomis is the one responsible in the original. And technically this is a remake of Scream, kind of. Um, do you think they do too much to set him up to be a red herring? Um – well, we haven't really gotten there yet. He could still be the killer. No, but like this is one of the first things that like, yeah. wow, you guys are really fucking leaning hard on him. Like he's like low key lighting that he's only like half lit and everything to make him look kind of. I think they're trying to like implant that like seed of thought into your mind because we haven't fully established the whole remake motif just yet. No, like when we finally do, like Trevor's even in the scene when we finally do, and I think that there's something in your head that's supposed to make you think, oh shit. The, the boyfriend who's creepy and sneaks in. Oh, fuck. I guess he's Billy, you know? Right. He's the analog for Billy in this movie. Yeah. But he also mentioned how, like, Sidney Prescott is there. It's like being on Top Chef with, you know, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. <laughs> like, he's all impressed by it or whatnot, you know? Yeah, he finds it kind of fascinating to be related to her and everything. And he's kind yep. of like a little, like a little star fucking right there. Yep. But Sid knocks on the door and sees that he's in there. And, like, you didn't come through the front door. Yeah. He even and, says it's cool to meet you, officially. And then he just ends up climbing out the window, like, the same way he came in. Well, he mentions, I keep meaning to pick up a copy of your book, you know. Which which comes into play in a deleted scene a deleted in a little scene, bit. Which we'll get into. Yep. So, he leaves, and, you know, Sid just recommends to Jill, just, you know, you remind me of me. With yeah, the boyfriend because, sneaking through the because window. It, it is very similar to the scene where he first met Billy in Scream 1. And I feel like this is where we are setting up the whole fucking motif, remake motif. Right. With, I mean, like, obviously, Kevin Williamson at the writer at the time knew that's what he was going for. I mean, I, we as the audience do not know that. We just think it's just another sequel at We this don't point. know that just yet. We're getting all these little things dropped to us that like, okay, we're, we're kind of going back to the past that many of these new characters represent old ones. Right. And but, so Sydney... Oh, go on. Well, I mean, with the beginning, you know, we have we have the the murder of two students, you know, alone at home, set up just like the original, even mm-hmm. if they weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, or whatnot, you know. Right. It's still two students just to get that initial spark going. Yes. And so then there's Sydney, a killer on the loose. And Sydney leaves Jill in her room and goes outside, and she's on the second floor landing. And this is where it's so fucking creepy. In in the darkness, in the opposite corner, there's Judy, you know, asking her, "Is everything all right?" 
And she goes to leave and says, you don't remember me? We, we, we went to high school together, you know? Yeah. I was in some of your classes. I was. I kind of feel, if anything, this goes too far to throw a red herring right here. Oh, seriously? This because like, the fact that she's in... I played a lost boy, and you were Tiger Lily in, in Peter Pan together in high school. And the fact that she, like, barely blinks in the scene either, and she's, like, she's like drilling holes through Sydney right there, and Sydney's just like, what the fuck is up with this woman right now? And it's ridiculous. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I can admit that it's probably a little try-hard to make her a suspect. Mm-hmm. But outside the house, we got uh, cops Haas and Perkins watching everything. And Olivia pulls up. She lives next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, her mom is away. Meanwhile, Kirby's staying over with jail. They're watching Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Scream continuing the whole movie within a movie motif. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decide to call Olivia and play a prank on her. Yeah, and try and do the ghost face voice and everything. Without the actual app. It's like, <laughs> it just, Jill just changed, like, what's your favorite scary movie there? Uh, totally unconvincing, yeah. but apparently there's going to be a stabathon. Yes, an, with- a- an annual stabathon that, that goes on mm-hmm. uh, yearly. Now, uh, while they're sitting there talking to Olivia, Kirby's phone rings and it's Trevor. But on the other line, when, when Kirby picks up, it's-, it's actually we hear Ghostface voice. Right, and then when Kirby gets up and she's kind of pacing the room here, and we can see out the window behind her in into Olivia's house. Olivia's house, and she's getting ready to go to bed and everything. So we know that that, that these two scenes are going on. Uh, simultaneously, mm-hmm. uh, he de- Ghostface demands to talk to Jill, but you know she refuses to. They still kind of think it's Trevor, but then Ghostface, you know, asks, "How's the movie?" And she's like, "What movie?" And she's Shaun like, of the Shaun Dead." Shaun of the Dead. And you're like, "How'd you know that?" Because I'm standing in, in the, the closet. closet, and so Jill and Kirby are just looking at their, their closet, like, um, "What the fuck? This is not cool anymore. And it's not definitely not funny." And even Olivia on the on the line is wondering, like, "What's going on?" And she's looking through her window at theirs. Yeah. And so we're having a rear window moment right yeah. here that we have, like, we have characters in the foreground here, and then we have characters going on doing stuff in the background. Like, this is the closest thing to, like, a, a rear window moment here. And then that's when Kirby decides to open the closet. And well, see- he's still threatening them to open the closet, and she's saying how this cop's all the place. I still have time to slice one of you. Yeah. So. And so, like, um, okay, and still think this is bullshit. So Kirby goes to the closet door, it's going to open and see if this is bullshit or not. And I love the slow other, burn build, out. how they do it, man. She opens the closet, and there's nobody there. Yeah. And she's like, ha, calls I knew bu- you are fucking lying. Calls bullshit. He says, I never said I was in your closet. So, looking out the window, boom, fucking Ghostface breaks out of Olivia's closet, and he's fucking killing Olivia. That's, like, the only problem I have with the scene here. It should have just been, because we're in... Jill's room when he says that we should have seen through that window and into Olivia's room Olivia gets hacked. it's because of the way the fucking I guess the the, the, houses, the houses are laid out or whatever yeah. it wasn't totally feasible because we just cut to Olivia's room and he popping out of the closet and he literally fillets her he fucks her like he stabs her like through the, like she goes to put up her hand to stop his it goes knife right through, her hand. right through her hand he tosses her around like she's a rag doll yep and then just literally butchers her in front of her and this is like okay you compare this to Scream Three, and Jill 3. and Kirby have to watch the whole thing from from across the from next door. Yes. Now, one of the tenets for Scream Three is that they had to limit the amount of blood in there because it was a post-Columbine movie. Now, by it's eleven years past that, and we're past like the the torture porn kind of movies and all the Saw films and what have you. Um, 
So they really go for broke when it comes to blood in this movie. They go fucking nuts. I mean, the, uh, Kirby and Jill are screaming for help. Sid hears it, runs to the room, looks over. Sees what's happening to Olivia, and goes downstairs. She, like, backs up for a moment, has, like, a, oh, my God, it's really happening again moment. Yeah. Runs downstairs. Like, she's, she's as 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 we see in her eyes, like, the disbelief over her, she is still very much in control. Like, she's almost, like, she's, not, I, I like, hate to say. Not she's my like, watch. She, she's not, like. I don't. Damn it! How do I describe this? She's shook, but she's not shook. She immediately runs downstairs, goes for Hostage Perkins, can't she find them. Shocked, but she is not overwhelmed. Yes, but then she immediately runs fucking next door. You know, throws because the cops have gone. They're not in their cruiser. Yep, throws a cinder block through the, through the uh, the little window in the front door in order to break her break in. Yep. But by the time that she ends up getting up to the stairs and going to the room, Ghostface has disappeared after he threw. He, like, threw her halfway out the window. Sid threw runs Olivia upstairs. Halfway out the window. Sid runs upstairs without any real hesitation, stops just to be careful, but gets into the room and finds Olivia's body, fucking in guts, intestines everywhere. We and haven't gone this fucking far since Scream 1. Right. The, there's blood literally all over the fucking wall. I mean, like, like Freddy Krueger and, like, Johnny Depp kind of level blood. Like, oh. Yeah. So a, a phone rings, Olivia's phone rings. And Sid answers it. What you know? Welcome home, Sydney. Yeah. So Sid, you know, tries to go for go for the whole uh, piss him off thing. He says, "Why don't you have the fucking balls to get me?" Oh, poor Sid. You still think this is about you? Right. The point he's trying to make is that this, even though Sid is involved, I'm having my cornet moment right now with the phone fucking ringing. Fuck you! Leave me the fuck alone. Lose my number. <laughs> I know who that is. I can't answer. So that's not creepy that the phone rings here when we're yes. <laughs> talking about a killer calling. Well, I recognize the number, so it's okay. Okay. But Ghostface is trying to point out that, like, Sid is still the star. Mm. You think you're still the star. Mm. You know, it said, mentions how she's done so well by all this bloodshed. But well, you've forgotten about who you left behind in this town. How about the town you left behind? I've got plans for you. So you will die when I say, not a moment too soon. Yeah. So he's definitely going after Sid, but she is not his primary target. No. But she also could be. This could be a psychological point. We don't know yet, but we know that there's, we know yet again, there's some kind of connection to the past almost. Right. And so Jill comes in to see if Olivia's still alive. Sid Sid stops her. Like, like, don't go in there. And Jill remarks that you really are the angel of death. She said you were the angel of death, at which point Ghostface pops out from behind you know, she pushes Jill out of the way, but Ghostface is able to get a slash off on her. Yeah. He cuts her arm. Sid and Ghostface fight down the stairs. She hits him with, like, a like a fucking painting on the wall, and she, like, monkey flips him down the stairs, and the two of them go fucking tumbling. Right. And, and I love the moment, like, they're, they're kicking and fighting here, but it eventually it culminates with... She kicks him in the stomach, backs him up into the little hallway, and... High kicks him in the... Fucking face. Like a hell of a high kick. So Sid's, Sid's also like been... Like Zohan style. Sid's also been fucking, you know, fucking learning she's, learning from Lyoto Machida. That's like, <laughs> how, that's like how he knocked out Randy Couture and retired Randy Couture. Yes, I told just about, about... Holy shit, it's like it was the, like that. It's like a step, like one step away from the crane kick from Karate Kid. Boom! And like, uh, Ghostface drops like a sack of potatoes right there. Yep. So Hawks and Perkins finally come in. But when they turn right around, Ghostface is gone and the back door's open. Yep. So... They go, you know, they go they around go, looking. Uh, yeah, they, uh... She goes to check on Jill, whose arm is bleeding and just doesn't want anything to do with Sid. And that's when Trevor reappears. Trevor reappears wearing black jeans and black shoes. Yeah. <gasps> uh -oh. 
Palpatine's behind it all. Palpatine's behind it all. Mm-hmm. And Kirby finally makes her way there, and they, you know, Hoss and Perkins come back. They can't find anybody, so they, you know, they call it in, and as you know, Sid's leaving. And it, there were so many deleted scenes that really needed to fucking be in this movie. Yes, I could, they did. I could think of a few, as, especially the one right that that was cut here. Yes, as they're taken. You know, Jill out, Sid's with her. The neighbors are, like, yelling at her, get away, Sidney, we don't want you here anymore. Yeah, she's, like, she's a bad omen that she's kind of a blight upon this town. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that, like, I think it went a little far when they said, like, a plague of both your houses. I think that was a bit far that they said that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they said that or I'm just kind of filling that in. But... Now, there was another deleted scene Yeah, where Hicks comes out and says, you know, the victim was this age or whatever. And so it was the weirdest. There was like a dog door around her neck, like like the kind of doggy door you'd have on like a garage door or uh-huh. a back door. And in that deleted scene, Dewey says, tells her about how Tatum was killed. Tatum was killed. His sister Tatum mm-hmm. was killed trying to escape through the, the doggy door of a garage door. And this is like one of the first, like one of the only times we see Dewey lose it. And Dewey starts- He snaps at her. This is also one of the few times we see Dewey start to almost realize that like- we're seeing a new pattern, like yeah. with this whole movie thing. We're talking about like so he's remaking the original, you know, the events of the first murder. Yeah, I think the reason they left it out was just because of the fact that like we kind of didn't really establish the whole remake motif yet, and Dewey just kind of did it right there. It would make, I guess, the later scene of the cinema club possibly a little redundant. But they also expound upon what the rules, the rules of that kind of horror movie would be. So I guess it's not that bad or anything. No. Uh... I mean, I I get it. I I, I kind of do now why they cut it, just because of that. Because it's it, it's kind of weird. It's, it's kind of weird. It's kind it's kind of like I think they stopped and realized like okay, we're giving a little too much away at the moment. Mm-hmm. And but it, it's a it's a nice emotional beat for Dewey that I'm kind of sad that we don't have that here. No, Dewey does really come off as a fucking. He comes off as fucking special officer Doofy. Throughout most of the fucking movie. Yeah, and this is like a moment where it shows him as to be the confident sheriff that he is. And also it clears up... Uh, supposed to be. It clears up a point that we get later on with this, the cinema club scene jumping ahead where they start describing who each of the victims so far represents. And I, I didn't... I remember when we were watching it, I didn't make the connection at first. Mm-hmm. That that was supposed to be... Ta- that Olivia was supposed to be Tatum. Yeah. Because she also died very early. Like, if you go back to the original screen, after... Um, after Casey Becker and Steve, her boyfriend, are fucking killed, I don't think we get another kill until Principal Hembry. No, and... We get attempted murders on Sid. Yeah, and Hembry was only thrown in because that was a studio note feeling there was not enough... There's not enough, like, there was not enough... There's not enough suspense. There's not... Too, too light of a body count. Yeah. But also, I love how they, they, Williamson kind of weaved it into a story of reason. Oh, yes, as the way of getting everyone away from the house and isolating, isolating the other characters further. that stay more. Yeah. Yeah. So at the hospital, uh, Robbie and what's his what's his name? Euronymous. Robbie and Euronymous. Robbie and Euronymous or Rory Culkin. What the fuck was his character's name? I, I, I Charlie. Charlie. Yes. Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> Sir the Charles. Fucking Charlie's over there. We're gonna cut him up here. <laughs> we got Charlie all over the place. <laughs> but yes, Robbie and Charlie arrive at the hospital. He's still fucking live streaming like 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 a tactless douche. The press are there. Yeah. Um. He's mad that Olivia Morris will never go out with him. <laughs> like, like, yeah, just really one-track mind, dude. Like, wow, you're an asshole. But Gail arrives, and she meets up with the two of them, 
And, you know, we, he, she t- says, would you guys mind turning that off for a little one-on-one? Because they recognize who she is. Yeah. So she has to threaten him. It's like, turn, yeah, that, turn fucking that fucking thing, thing off, right off now. now. And he says, okay. So I guess she did a little sleuthing and finds out they are the two guys that run the uh, movie club. Yeah. Well, cinema club, as cinema they call club. it. So, you know, she decides to partner up with them and is willing to give them an exclusive, you know, Celebrity endorsement. Celebrity appearance, appearance at their cinema club, and they want, but she they, gets a little. They, dis- they up the ante. They want Sydney there too. Yes, she gets a little disappointed by that. So that, like her star is not as bright and always being upstaged by Sydney as a, the the motif of this movie. Yeah, so Sid gets checked out. She's fine. Um, Rebecca there shows up, and she's more interested in all like the, all the the new shit she can get for Sid. Like, oh, we, you know, uh, uh, more TV appearances, more books. You could get another book. And she has a contract. She booked her for a bunch of other tv appearances and sid finally just asked did you even read my book and she's like and like rebecca's like i was just gonna wait wait, wait wait for the movie so rebecca tries to give her this fucking he tries to, give to her sell this, her on this idea of like you're a victim embrace Let, it. Just lean into it man mm-hmm. i know you care about all those downtrodden little fucks you know and uh, this would kind of maybe help him not like jump off a bridge or something like that does really like she's basically telling her you're a victim too, so it's okay if you take care of all these desperate people and for more money. Yeah, if you take advantage of them. So Sid, is, I just love the, the the like wide-eyed like, huh? Look, she gives her, and she's saying this. So Sid swiftly fires Rebecca, and she's like, fired. It's like, fine, yep, fine, fuck you. I'm gonna leave. I'm surprised. And actually, the look on Rebecca's face as she was leaving, I'm surprised she didn't just like whip her hair back and leave. Like how she like just like she kind of like struts away. He's like, nope, fine, I can do better. Yep. So. While taking the elevator up, she's, you know, mulling over it, getting mad about it. Can't believe you even read my book lately. The elevator's acting kind of funny. Yeah, you think, like, maybe the elevator's going to yeah. drop to the bottom or something like that. But it resumes, and she mentions, the problem is why Sydney ever, never gets laid. Or but even that's why she's so uptight or something like that. Yep, she'll call me tonight and apologize. Just watch. So Rebecca's... She's so confident in her own abilities like that that Sydney's going to uh, grovel to her. To, you know, to come back and get all the money she can. So she's look, looking for a car, can't find it. But she does find it, and her cell phone rings. So if the phone rings, it's Ghostface on the other end asking for Sydney, And says, I can take a message. You are the message. And it's like, oh, shit. And, like, trying to get to the car and everything and trying to get the fuck out of there. And that's when, like, she's like, oh, I'm in the hospital. She does. She's trying not to play out the fact that she's not in the garage. But, however, her car alarm goes off in the middle of the conversation, spoiling where she is right now. Yep. It doesn't sound like you're in the hospital. It's like you're in a parking garage, a dark and deserted parking garage. Well, I can put you in the hospital. Like, yeah, and he's in very menacing. In the morgue! <laughs> so Rebecca's definitely freaked out right now. She gets in her car. And this is extended from what it was originally. Yes. And her car won't turn over, though, but she notices the hood is open a little, and that's what Ghostface jumps on it with some, like, I guess, like the starter motor or whatever. I assume so. In or, his hand that he cut yeah. out. So she go, but she sees another car leaving. She screams for help. The, the car to doesn't no notice, but she turns around and and goes. Face is gone. Yeah. So she does the one I, I don't know foolish thing, like she looks under her car, and she's oh. trying to get back into the hospital. She tries to run, but her car alarm goes off again, and she's. I feel bad for the fact that she has to run in heels across this parking lot. Gets the door and actually yanks off the, the, the door, door handle. handle. At which point she turns around and goes. Face runs right up to her and bah, stabs her. Yeah. And you're just thinking, like, oh, I guess that's not so bad, all things considered. But she kind of slinks out of frame, and so does Ghostface. 
cut to the press conference going on right outside by special officer duty. By duty, duty. He's doing his shitty press conference. Right. So all the reporters are you know taking question taking questions, and Gail tries to be the part of the press here, running to the front, and. Dewey's just treating her as his wife, not as a member of the press. She's not taking her seriously and ignoring her questions. Yeah, he, he's... Uh, we'll talk about this when we get home. Talk about it when we get home. But she does actually ask a valid question. Any comment on the fact that these killings seem to resemble the pattern of the original Woodsboro murders? And, and even all the other, uh, all the other reporters there just kind of like perk up, like, that's actually a good, uh, good yeah. point there. And so he just, can we, can we talk about later? That's what I was saying. My officers are hard at work. I mean, want the community, blah, blah, blah. We have the whole situation under control. control. At which point, Rebecca's body is thrown from the fucking top of the parking garage and lands on a news van. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, like, that's like a Weeded-esque, like, editing joke right there. And showing how intelligent Dewey is, he goes to check her pulse. Thinking, like, maybe she survived that. And Perkins and Hoss, who are, who are secretly the Flash, manage to make it to the top of the parking garage. And say, well, the funny thing is... Um, Adam Brody was supposed to play the Flash yep. in the Justice League movie that never came to be. And and Gail, point, he's, Gail he's points out that Shazam. Yep, Gail points out that she has a lead and Dewey doesn't, and he he kind of gets a little pissed at that. Right. And that's when we cut to the cinema, cinema club. club. They got posters of movies, including Stab, all over the fucking walls. And I believe all the movies that they have posters for are movies that have been remade. Yes, because they have Stab in there. They, they have, have well, they have the, re- eyes. the remake of Halloween Two poster. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Yep, the thing. The which thing wasn't remade. It was a prequel. Same year as this. Well, technically, Carpenter's The Thing is the, th- the remake. Is the remake? Okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah. So they, they it, we've that. got like a hodgepodge of of movie remakes and movies that have been remade. If you really want, you could probably write a whole fucking essay about the scene and of all the madness that's going on in this scene alone. Yep. And they, they're talking about the um, uh, Rory, like um. Charlie. Charlie and... Um, and not Michael Sarah. Yeah. Uh, are talking about, like, the rules of a remake here and then how they have to go about it. It's saying, like, the unexpected is the new norm. Yep. And how if, you, if you're the killer nowadays in today's world, you'd be filming your, your kills as, like, art to upload onto the internet. Right. And so, like, even if you get caught, the, the proof is out there and, like, your legacy would live on. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a, a conceit that was brought up in Scream Two, because Mickey filmed his attacks. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't film the murders that we know of. He just taught, he filmed the conversations, the preamble before he struck. It, basically, what they're trying to say is that you know modern audiences get savvy to the rules and originals. Now the unexpected becomes the new rules. Right. And I mean that is you know that is very true. But the thing though too that they kind of break away from this, they really don't. They really do deviate. They don't explain exact fucking, you know, they don't, they don't list them. The new rules. They don't list them like Randy did. No. We talk about stuff. We get ideas, you know, that the killer will be, you know, that the unexpected is now it. The kill's got to be more extreme because you always got to up the ante from the original. How, you know, because of modern times and, and, and really the precursor to, I guess, live streaming, uploading your kill, taping your kills and uploading them on the Uploading them on the internet. Yeah. Which I guess also goes with something like Hostel. Well, they never upload the internet. To Not the bit. internet. No, but I mean, like, they had to, at least the one thing, they had to get tattoos to be part of the elite hunting club in order to be a part of that. It's just one of the things, like, it's needlessly complicated, this scene. Because they don't, they don't break it down like the rules, like how Randy did. Yeah. Now. They don't distill it down. No. And 
you could say that that was a critique on remakes of the time where like we need to have this backstory. We need to know how Leatherface became Leatherface and he's actually named Thomas and he has a, a degenerative disease of a, of a face and that's why he wears a mask or something like that. Or giving a backstory to Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie movies is like it's unnecessary. I think that's that's the point of the scene. I think it's supposed to be kind of like poking fun at that. Well, that un- at least that's how I get out of it. Also, the unexpected is the new norm. You're expecting rules, but now you don't get them defined. That also works. But they, they list off of how, you know, in the original we have the, the two teens murdered, then the school, you know, the school hot chick is murdered. And where does it all go from there? Mm-hmm. And Sidney says, a party. Right. Where did the original scream go? It went to the big well, party when school was, classes were suspended. And that's when they bring up Stabathon because that's what the big gathering that's going on Friday night because they have an annual screen with They have a marathon of all sad films, one through seven. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it's pretty much invite only, and they refuse to let Gail and Sydney know about it. You know, they, they refuse to call like it off. I feel if Gail was not there, they would tell her. But since the, the Gail is the sheriff's wife, yeah. the I wouldn't tell her because they, of that. Well, they still push for a fucking Q and A, but when when they don't have it, Gail basically just says, "You know, fuck." All right, fuck this. Right she here. says, "Fuck working together," and then they just leave. Her and Sydney just leave because they refuse to fucking say anything. In the in that class was also Trevor and Kirby. Yeah, and Trevor, you see him kind of like intently listening, listening on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, pushing for the whole the the whole Billy thing, I guess. Hi, look at me. Hi, look at me. I I represent the boyfriend who was the killer in the first one. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of that that Mo song when he had like the kind of like the TGI Fridays when he turned Mo's into. Oh, uh, Uncle Mo's family feedback. Yes. <laughs> Here I am, thank you, man, Uncle Mo. <laughs> Million dollar birthday fries. Uh, anyway, that's too freaking bad. Hey, what could you do with your freaking Sony too? <gasps> no, my freaking ears. <laughs> that's one of my favorite moments. It's Millhouse earlier on when Bart goes to get his soul back. Like, hey, Millhouse, yes. <laughs> Can I have my soul back? No. Anyway, Scream Four. Yes. Um, we're back at the Jill residence. Back at back at the Roberts residence. Yes. <laughs> no snakes. <laughs> That's a wrestling joke. No, no snakes or no lines of cocaine the length of a snake. Or methamphetamines. Or methamphetamines. Or crack cocaine. Or crack cocaine. All the fun stuff. Oh, but like I, I could have gone to Eternal Con this weekend wearing my 605 Super Podcast shirt and like pay Jerry Gray and get thrown out by Jake the Snake. I, I, I tempted the idea a while back doing that. Wait, what? Oh, the, like Jake the, Jake the Snake owes. Um, I know that, but. People like it, like uh, Six has been going to conventions. Like, hey, you gonna pay Jerry Gray? And then him, like Jake the Snake, freaks the fuck out over it. Wow. Yeah. Well, when you owe somebody who's dying of cancer ten thousand dollars, I think you should pay the man. I think you should pay him, especially when you probably. I'd say he has it at this point, probably. Probably. If it's not, I, I know his his daughter. I think is his manager. I wonder if it's the same daughter that, like, in Beyond the Mat, fucking hated him. Probably. I just, I just remember being on the mat when she quotes Sylvia Plath. Fuck you, Daddy. <laughs> but I guess I guess uh, uh, large Time's changed. I guess large checks make up for fuck you, Daddy. Of course, money so, heals everything, folks. That's the, that's the moral of this story. Exactly. So at the Roberts residence, uh, Jill kind of laments the fact that she's not going to Stabathon and kind of. And she's she does apologize little, to Sid. Yeah, because she was kind of curt to her the night before. Yeah. Um, 
But to just try to comfort her by saying, it's like, you know how people always say, I know how you feel, and they can't. It's like, I know how you feel. Like, she's apologizing about Olivia. That's when, that's when you know, Jill apologizes. About, well, Jill apologizes about your publicist. I don't, I don't think Sid was all that sad at that point. No, but she's, <laughs> she's trying to, like, have, like, a normal conversation. Like, I'm sorry that your publicist got uh, uh, thrown off a building. And she's asking, like, how do you, how do you deal with all the attention? How do you, how do you deal with all this? Right. You know? And and Sid's response is kind of cool because she's like, she doesn't make it about her. She says, I try not to think about me. I try to think about the people around me, and she tries to make it about them. Yep. And then it's just a, it's a great way of, like, a, 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 for a character there is just saying that, like, because she's always the center of attention to these events here, the best way that is to repel it by making it about her friends. Not in, like, kind of a, a, an accusing kind of way, but no, it's like, hey – these are my friends, and they, these are the ones that help me get through this kind of this shit here. And so I, I kind of lean on them to help me get through the day. Well, Jill even says, "You saved my life." You know, I know we're family, we're family, but we barely know each other. Know each other. It's like I, I, I hope I'd be able to do. The, I don't know if I'd be able to do the same for you because of the fucking guts it took for Sid. Yeah. To face this, even though she's faced it, you know, three times already. It's been ten fucking years, and mm-hmm. she did. She didn't hesitate. She jumped right back in the fire. Right. And Sid even says, "I hope you never Into have to find the out." Fire. Sorry. I'm falling. I made listen to some Dokken on the way home now. I hope you're happy. Oh, that's fine. That's I am happy because Dokken is amazing. Yeah, I think Dokken is my favorite glam metal band. I, I'll say that proudly. And so Sydney feels like they're being watched here. And is she saw like ass. a little silhouette moving in the reflection of the window behind her. Yeah. Uh, over at um, back in Jill's room, she's looking at Olivia's window. It's all boarded up. A, a grim reminder of what happened the night before. Yep. Kirby, though, is, uh, is saying, oh, I think Olivia would want me to be around people. So uh, Kirby goes to the Stabathon. It's at some fucking barn. And Trevor's there. He seems to be hanging out with a couple of girls, which doesn't make uh, – it doesn't it, doesn't help like, his case. It doesn't help his case. Like, they don't show him doing anything. He's just sitting there with them, and but it doesn't fucking help his case. No. I also kind of notice all these characters are wearing the same fucking clothes. What do you mean? Like, from the day before? Oh, no. Isn't this – Yes, from the day before. No, uh, the, that Kirby's wearing a similar outfit to the day before, like with the jacket, uh, low cut, like the t-shirt or the the shirt and the jeans, everything. And Jill's is wearing another striped shirt and jeans. It like, looks exactly the same. Yeah, but at the Stabathon, everyone's coming in, and there's Gail coming out from like a basement, wearing she, her ghost face mask, and she she's put trying the, her da- damnedest to kind of. It's hysterical in. just watching you know forty something year old Courtney Cox, you know, like just like the way she's moving and everything, Giant hand gesturing. Music. Gyrating to the music. And, and like, she, she got double thumbs up. Yep. And she holds hers up, like, so awkwardly. <laughs> but she's walking around to certain areas of the barn, and she's putting up cameras of her own. She's got a plan. Yeah. She thinks that this rule of remakes thing will happen, and that this is the big party that represented the party at Stu's house in the first one. Right. So they get they begin getting stab started. Charlie and... and Euronymous. Uh-huh. No, Euronymous is Charlie. I yeah. can't even remember these fucking characters. Robbie and Charlie. Robbie, yeah. They start go. talking about like the rules of when to drink, and they actually start playing the original Stab, which we have seen footage from from Scream 2. And right. it's the exact footage, except they edited in directed by Robert Rodriguez. Well, which we brought up the fact that we weren't, we weren't able to confirm it back then that like Rodriguez shot that movie within the movie for them. Yeah. And Gail does the right... She does... She repeats herself like in Scream 1. She puts... A camera underneath a, a TV screen. Well, she walks in front of the screen and everyone starts booing and throwing shit at and her. And she just flips them off like, fuck She you. flips them all off, yeah. So she goes up, you know, upstairs, puts that, what is it, she puts down like another camera. Yeah, she's got four cameras going on right now. Yep. So, just, you know, observing everything, putting down cameras, gets back into her car and starts looking at them. Yeah. 
and also, you know, monologuing into like a tape recorder. Her for I guess her for another book, like another memoir yep. or something like that. But as she's doing it, she notices in her camera feed someone is blocking the cameras, moving them, putting stuff in front of them. And the last one we see it is a person wearing a ghost face outfit. Yes. They pick it he picks it up and actually points it towards him. But that before he, hi, before disguising it again. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like, okay, is that the killer or is it just somebody dressed up because it's Stabathon? Yep. So she immediately calls Dewey saying, I got it under surveillance, but I think the killer's about to make his move. And Dewey once again is fucking questioning her, saying you make a you make a remake to outdo the original. Yeah. I guess that's the one solid rule of remakes we can go by in this film. Right. You, you make it to to outdo the original. So And because the only real rule scene that we have is in the trailer but not in the movie with them at by the fountain. Or at least like a, a potential what could happen. Which is also it, a deleted scene. <sighs> a lot of good deleted scenes that should have stayed. Yes. So Gail finally gets pissed off at Dewey and just says, I gotta go fix my equipment. So she's going back in there, so she hangs up on him. Dewey then, you know, decides, Oh fuck, let me he turns on the sirens and he's en route. She told him where it is, it's at this farm. Uh they're watching the scene of fucking Heather Graham from Stab yeah. showering. And, you know, Kirby walks by, Robbie and Charlie, you know, kind of kind of insultingly. Since but she like, knows but no, Robbie. like it is kind of flirty and everything. And, and she, like, yeah. And Charlie's just like, you know what? I may actually have a chance to eat. And Robbie's just like, you know what? Just go for it, dude. <sighs> if that were me, I probably would have just been like, fuck you, you twat. Whoa. I'm not, that's the thing, though, dude. It's like, I. I, I may ha- I may have this like hard approach to everything, but when it comes to that, when it comes to someone I really like and wanting them to like me too, I want a nice person. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to give this out to everybody. It's like mm-hmm. I, that's why I stopped hanging out with with like that's that's why I ended like friendships I've had just because like I feel like I'm not getting like a friendship back. It's like even if it's like an insulting friendship, mm-hmm. it, it gets tiresome at a point. Right. Like even though we pick on each other a lot, yeah. You know, there does come we, a point. We, we, we stop. Yes. There does enjoy, come a point. enjoy our company. But also, we also establish a fucking friendship based on not that, you yeah. know? It's just a it's just a facet. It's yeah. just It's just a, a surface facet, you know? Mm. But there does come a point when it's just like, I, I, I can't, I've had friendships based on, like, I, I used Bullying. to have, I had one where it was just like, we both used to say our friendship is based on a common hatred for one another. And it, it, it like... It was a running joke for a while, but eventually got fucking tiresome, mm-hmm. and the actual like behavior of said got tiresome, mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm fucking tired. And then finally, it re- did reach a breaking point about five years ago, right. and it's been over ever since. Mm-hmm. But if I had a woman like that, like anyone, a, a woman I liked, a friend or whatever, that treated me the way like Kirby treats her, I would lose interest instantly. So, really? Yep. And I've had that, too. I've had girls I'm interested in that we have that, and I just like, why am I, why... Why am I bothering? Mm-hmm. You don't find that like that kind of like idea, like that feelings, like kind of like flirtatious, anything like that kind of like playful. Jazz it gets fucking tiresome. It mm-hmm. gets fucking tiresome. And when and when there's nothing that when there's nothing on the other side to balance it out, when there's never like any like compliment or anything, because that's if it's just simply insult. If it's just simply that, it's just like fuck this. Okay, I I, I can see where you're coming from. There. Yeah, and so. Sydney, uh, not Sydney, uh, Gail, Gail goes to check her equipment there. Her camera's laid down. Dewey has arrived on the scene, and he's looking in Gail, Gail's car. And seeing the monitor. Yep. 
And so Gail's equipment seems to be fine here, but that's when she, before she puts it back, she notices there's another camera there. There's another camera monitoring her yep. and just watching her while she's doing this. It's and a, she has a camera in her hand pointing to her, she's holding behind it. her. Yeah. It's this like old, it's just like, well, those like spherical webcams and they ADR this dumbest fucking whirring noise, <laughs> mechanical whirring that it would not make, but yeah. it is able to move. But Dewey sees in the monitor from the perspective she's holding the camera at that Ghostface is coming from behind her. That, so, that's a nice, genuine suspense moment it's here. It's a cool moment. It's yeah. very creative. So Ghostface attacks. They have a little cat and mouse around some hay bales. And now since the, the stampathon's going on below them and it's so loud, nobody hears Gale and the struggle that's going on yep. above them. Gale manages to get away. And this is kind of like almost a remake of Scream 2, where there's an attempted murder going on in front of them and nobody's aware of it. Yep. But Dewey gets in there. He fires a shot. The crowd screams. He he misses because Dewey has the fucking name of a stormtrooper. Yeah. A, 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 a crippled stormtrooper. <laughs> but he misses Ghostface. So Ghostface sees that Dewey's there. He takes a step, stabs Gale right in the shoulder. Yeah. And pushes her aside. Now, just, just so we just, don't forget, we'll come back to, yeah, oh, my God. And Dewey, he takes another shot. He knocks out a light. It's like, yeah. what the fuck, man? <laughs> but. He stabs Gale, like... Gale is stabbed in the shoulder, and she's, like, she tucks the rolls off the platform above in the second floor of the barn and lands to the ground hard. Now, here's my question, and we will revisit this when when the, the killer's identity is revealed, which I'm sure you already know who it is, because it's fucking... If you haven't seen this movie, why would you be listening to us spoil it, you know? Yeah. But... Some people have listened to it and gone back and enjoyed the review and just... Does enjoy our conversation and want to experience of it. how we of how we try not to spoil how we try to build things up like narrating it yeah like we're the narrators yeah we are the narrators of your life but it's like why would he choose to just stab her in the shoulder you know it's like why you, not kill her you could have hit her right in the fucking heart and you ran slit her throat you could have stabbed her, stabbed her in the face and ran you could stab her fucking anywhere and ran but just her the shoulder. shoulder the very survivable shoulder mm-hmm. I mean you may have problems you may end up like Dewey did for three movies yeah or two movies. Mm-hmm. But Dewey gets up there and Ghostface has gotten away, proving that he's fucking useless and that Woodsboro needs the National Guard because it's run by this fucking meathead. <laughs> it's run by this fucking Mensa member. Who now will finally listen to his wife now that she's fucking wounded. Yeah. But, yeah, she tells Dewey he is recording the mur- the movie, uh, recording the murders. And this time he's He's, he's making, making his movie. own movie at this point. Yes. And now, with how Dewey's portrayed here, you understand why David Arquette is a hardcore wrestler and uh, deathmatch and taking a fluorescent light tube to the throat. Yeah, because I, I don't know. Maybe he is still in the role of Dewey. Like, this is how Dewey's trying to toughen up for if murders ever come back as sheriff. I love it. get hit in the throat with a fluorescent light Somebody took video tube. of him at an uh, outdoor mud show wrestling match and somebody like, took a cell phone video of somebody yelled at him, like, you're only doing this for the money. And... Arquette shot back, I have friends' money. I don't have to do this. Huh. Because I'm like, uh, he's separated from Courtney Cox at this point, correct? Yeah. So I guess he got some money from that. I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. Like, maybe he's just mad that he got divorced and now he has to fucking get sliced up with fluorescent light tubes like an idiot. For 50 bucks a night, probably. It's 50 bucks. That's generous. <laughs> I figured like $5 in a ham sandwich. Oh, well. A half-eaten ham sandwich. I, I hope he's not like on Ian Rotten's kind of uh, outlaw mud show show, so I, uh, I hope to God it's not that. Anyway. Or, or any. Ian Rotten doesn't even have to be around for it to be fucking awful anymore. Ugh. But. A skin and, crawls is the, 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 the utterance of his name. Yeah. Anywho, back outside the Roberts residence, Haas and Perkins are sitting there talking, talking about, about how cops. We, talking about cops and how it sucks to be a cop in a horror movie. Yeah, because you always die. 
Yeah. Now, okay, we had a conversation when we did Halloween 2018 where you had issues with the cops that one. The, 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 the cops sitting in the patrol car, they were... Talking about a fucking sandwich. I know exactly what you're getting at. This is instantly better because they're actually talking about something in context with the movie. They're not talking about a fucking sandwich. <laughs> okay. If those cops were, 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 you know, have, like... If they were talking about the events going on in kind of a detached way because it's been 40 years... Because you, know, you know how, like, it is. Like, look how many people glorify fucking serial killers nowadays. Yeah. Like, like they talk about all these old, oh, I love reading about serial killers, man. It's like, but I guarantee you if they were to say that in front of the families of, of people who had died. Yeah. By those as serial true killers. Friend, yeah, it, it would be very uncomfortable. But we see how as time goes by, we're desensitized to all this shit. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, like, these guys. Like, oh, we're, you know, we're talking about cops getting killed in a horror movie. That has context to yeah. scream. Because Scream has con- has the context of real life events taking place in the, in the in the pattern of a horror movie, mm-hmm. a killer patterning himself about horror movies. That's context. Two cops sitting there talking about a fucking sandwich, a type of sandwich has no ha- talking about a type of sandwich in, in a comedic moment in pretty much the third act of a film when your suspense has built up to the point where you're not supposed to be letting go of your audience because if you do, you can completely lose them by killing the tone of your movie. Mm-hmm. That That's why that is stupid and why this is fine because we're also very much into the second act right now. You know, yeah. Things haven't fully... He, now, if, if we cut to these guys during, you know, towards the end when all shit is breaking loose... Then it like, would be a little different. Then it would be a lot harder to swallow. To, to quote Mr. Harry S. Plinkett when he talks about tone and how it's so important to keep a consistent tone, at the beginning of Ghostbusters, there isn't a violent rape on a pinball table. This is true. Yes. It's all about tone. When your tone is all over the place, your audience doesn't know how to feel. True. Or you could lose whatever emotion you had, mm-hmm. and it's hard to get back. Same thing with Halloween 28 when Michael Myers strikes out of the closet. 2018, Halloween 2018, when Michael Myers, we have the big music sting when he, when when the the babysitter opens the closet and there he is. This was in the trailer, which I watched trailer reactions to people jumping out of their fucking seats to that. Mm-hmm. In the actual theatrical cut of the movie, like there's any other, but in the actual movie, this is then followed by the little kid going, oh shit! Yeah. And everyone in the audience laughs. It's like, you, ju- you just killed your moment of fear. Everybody in the test screen laughed? Everybody in the movie theater we saw yep. laughed. You just completely killed your moment of terror. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, David Gordon Green! There's a reason why Danny Wright's not writing the next one. Anyway. Well, all right. Well... We'll be talking about that soon. We'll be talking way. about that when something official has happened. Yeah. I, I'm not. I refuse to lower myself to to the point of of, click, of clickbait. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> new Halloween movie. Get all the details here. There are no details. Thanks for stopping by. Like, we got to smash that like button yeah. and, and click the bell to get notified to get notified <laughs> about more of our clickbait. <laughs> I like to be faded if I have to deal with your clickbait bullshit website. That's sir. what clickbait does to my brain, folks. <laughs> so if there is, as we have said every time with Halloween in the old in the Halloween podcast if there is anything new officially released we will give you our thoughts on it mm-hmm. we do not we do not respond to rumors or hostage negotiations <laughs> rumors innuendo or small snippets of news that somebody puts on their twitter saying oh making th- Jamie Lee Curtis a picture of her a- and Jason Blum making things happen 
They could be fucking on the table. We don't know. That could what making things ha- happen means. Yes. She could be trying to have another baby with him. Well, she only she never had one with him, but she, she's had babies. So I didn't need that image. In my mind. You get where this is going. Yes. If, if, if some small snippet of of just not even news, just information that could mean anything. We, we basically we don't make podcasts on speculation alone. We so, need something concrete to go with it. True. We can speculate about things that are concrete, like we the trailer, the Halloween 2018 trailer analysis we did. Yeah. But if all we have is just speculate speculation, we're not going to speculate on speculation. Yes. And so Haas decides to go check the perimeter. Not going to speculate on speculation. Yeah. But yes, uh, Haas goes to check the perimeter. Perkins is, is you know, nervous because they were talking about how pretty much all cops die unless you're Bruce Willis. Yeah. He even calls him a dead man walking. Yeah. And he's constantly looking over his shoulder. Like, it is a moment of levity. Yeah. You know, at a good point in the movie where you could still do that. Within the context of that scene, that works. Within the con- That's what my point is. Within the context of the movie and that scene, that works. And so Sydney is, like, preparing some tea and just wants to relax, but she hears some noise outside. And she's goes- distracted by wind chimes. Yeah. Takes him down. Uh, Haas notices that there's an open window, and he can't get in touch with Perkins, though. And then he's like, oh, wait. And so Haas goes back and sees Perkins slashed over the uh, the uh, steering, wheel. steering wheel. And pa pops up and says, oh, there's a big the joke. And just yep. played, played dead on him and everything to make him uh, shit his pants a little bit. But while that's going on, while Anthony Anderson's laughing about it, that's when Ghostface comes up. Stabs Haas in the back and then stabs Anthony Anderson in the face. Stabs, stabs Perkins right in the forehead. Now. Into the brain. Now, apparently, like, as, as he gets out, he's still alive somehow. He's much swinging. Much to the chagrin of Ghostface here. Uh, he's doing the Michael Myers head tilt looking Yeah, at him. it's like, just so perplexed at what's going on here. Apparently, this was taken from a real-life uh, documentary that Wes Craven saw about somebody who got into, who took a blow like that to the face and lived on for a little bit. And it does it here, but I think just the fact that he says, fuck Bruce Willis, and then collapses, that's what it's like a little... Yeah, he drops to his knees, and his last words are, fuck Bruce Willis. (laughs) But I I do feel like that kind of can ruin the tone as well. Yeah. I remember the theater laughing for that. Yeah. So cutting back in, said, you know, she's having a tea. She hears the sound of wind chimes again. And she's very suspicious, you know, picks up a knife, fucking walks to the back door. See what's going on out there. And it's her, her Aunt Kate, who just came home from the grocery store and put the uh, the wind chimes back up because she saw them down. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I got, I'll be right back. I got, I'll have one bag in the car. Yep. And it's like, she says, she said, I'll be right back. That's a no-no, as this series has shown us and everything. That's when she gets a call, when Cindy gets a call. And it, it is the ghost, ghost face. face. Yep. Talks about how she's a... He, you know, fucking with her. You're a survivor. You're you good skill. How do you be a survivor if everyone is dead? So she says, who are you? And he tells her, you know, turn on the news, kind of like in Scream 3. Yeah. Turn on the news. And it says how um, at the Stabathon, Gail was injured and how she's in, in serious condition at the hospital. And, you know, that's Sydney realizes, oh, shit, you know, my friends are in danger now. So... Ghostface is, you know, taunting her, saying, how does it feel to come back? Family ties are the ones that cut the most deep. 
and, and the bond of blood and he's, everything. He's basically very innuendo kind of way saying that I'm going after your family, not right. you. I'm going after the people around you. And that's when Cindy and throws the phone away and goes up to see if Jill's still in her room, and she's not. Windows open and her phone, and like she was messaging via her computer and everything that that Kirby picked her up. Yep, she was instant. Remember AOL Instant Messenger? Mm-hmm. No, but you can you can text through your computer. Oh, I know, but it, it, it had a very AOL Instant Messenger kind of look, which yeah. I think that was still around, but barely used. And so they tells Kate to call uh, call Jill, and she's not picking up. And so they are, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go find her. Let's like Kirby's yep. with her. Let's go get him. Well, that's when she says it's like he wants my family first, and mm-hmm. Kate says, you know, she goes to tell Kate, let's go f- find the cops. She says the cops weren't there when I came home. So they go to leave the back door, and Ghostface is out there. But I love that moment in which Sydney sees him in the reflection in the of wind the chimes. wind chimes, which is a really cool moment. I like that uh, directorial flair there. Yep. So they go for the front door, and Ghostface co- opens it up, and Ghostface comes running. They manage to, you know, get the door shut, and Kate was sitting on the bottom trying to brace it, Sydney yeah. told her. And that's when we hear a, you know, stabbing. And you wonder, like, what happened? And, and, and then- Kate just looks up shocked. Fucking... Ghostface got her in the back of the head through the mail slot. And I call that a special delivery for sure. Mm. <laughs> That's a package you don't want. No, uh, I get these puns on mail I, order. I thought FedEx's delivery was shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Kate's dead. These jokes have as good a delivery as that. <laughs> so it, Kate is dead. Checks for the pulse again, even though she's collapsed and not moving because she had a fucking knife right in her fucking head. She died kind of quick. Yeah. So Sid, Sid sees a figure run by, and it's Judy runs out runs out of the house, and it's uh, Deputy Hicks. Yeah, Sid, surprisingly, she shows up right there at the right time. Yep. It's kind of curious, like that. Looking for Haas and Perkins, and, and like Sid, I say, where's the blood? Figure. Where's the blood coming from? And like, oh, Kate, she's she's dead in the in the um, the doorway. Yep. So she shows her her dead aunt. And that's when, like, Judy goes to check on her and everything. Even though Sid already checked on her and she's fucking dead, but uh, Hicks, you know, radios in for uh, help. And, and uh, but that's, and he's already bounced. He's gotten in the car and she's raced yep. out of there. It's and while, however, while this is going on, uh, Gail's taking us to the hospital and Dewey's is, like, very apologetic and everything. And he feels bad that he's not listened to her the entire movie. And, yeah. and then Gail just makes, asks him, make me promise, go get that motherfucker. Yep. That, that, that's what it takes for from for fucking duty. Someone yeah. has to his his wife has to get stabbed for him to, to uh, notice her. Yep, that's just that's just a grade A relationship right there. So over at what is it Kirby's house now? I believe it is. Yes. Um, the rest of them, you know, Robbie, Charlie, Jill, and Kirby, they're hanging out there because the thing has been canceled. They're they're freaking out because Sydney warned them to cancel it and they didn't listen. And Charlie feels kind of responsible for the fact that like. That attack is because of him. Because if Stephathon was not happened, Gale would not have been there. Gale would not have been attacked. Yep. And but like, well, like maybe we should continue the Stephathon here, just amongst us. Yep. And that's when the flirtation between Kirby and Charlie really starts to ramp up as they have a kind of a movie trivia off and everything. And while this is going on, Trevor shows up. Trevor shows up <laughs> unannounced. Unannounced, uninvited. But he claims that Jill texted him. And told him to come. Now, we do know throughout the movie, if you remember back to the beginning, um, when Marnie and Jenny were being killed, it was from Trevor's phone. Did we mention that? Uh, from their friend they, Trevor? They, they got calls from Trevor. Yes, they got. I don't think we mentioned it, though, but Jenny and uh, Marnie were getting calls from Trevor. Right. The next day, Olivia and Kirby. Because I think Jenny's the one he slept with. 
Yeah. The next day, Olivia and Kirby, uh, Olivia and Jill were getting calls from Marnie and Jenny's phone. Mm -hmm. So now the killer is able to, you know, get a hold of people's phones. Yeah. So Jill's looking, and I don't think this is a that whole cloned cellular phone plot that always happens in no, the screen movies. No, he's just taking their phones and using them. People, yeah, their fucking phones have gone fucking missing. Yeah. And, and so, and like Jill goes to grab her phone to prove the fact that I did not text you, and you're not you're not welcome here. And it's just like Trevor's like, fine, I'll I'll go grab my phone, I'll show you what what happened, and I'll show you that the text is. So he goes after Jill, and after his phone, and leaves the room. Yep. So it's just Charlie. Robbie and Kirby at this point. Yep. So, cut back to the Roberts residence. Hicks, Hicks is on the phone with Dewey, saying how they found Hawson Perkins' body. Sydney bolted, um, and how what was it? That, that they probably went to Kirby's house. Yes. And Dewey is driving in his truck while this happened. He pulls a Walker Texas Ranger by doing a one eighty. Yep. And handing off to Kirby's house. So the kids decide to watch Stab Six, which uh, starts out with the, the whole. Or we believe it's step six. It could be step seven. seven. I think step seven. Because we're seeing sh- the whole Sherry and Trudy intro. Yeah. So Robbie's trying, basically getting drunker. Yeah, you're getting more progressively drunk as drinking. Uh, just tequila straight, no chaser, nothing. Nope. So he decides to vlog, and he hears Kirby. If, you, if the YouTube generation taught me anything, vlogging drunk is the best way to get yourself in yep. trouble. He overhears Charlie and Kirby talking, and she's kind of flirting with him. So he's trying to... to He's vlogging about how Charlie might get laid tonight, which that'll go... For high school kids, that'll go over fucking wonderful. Oh, yeah. You know? That won't have any repercussions about it. Kirby won't walk in the next day at school being called a fucking slut. Yeah. No, you know? or anything. And they're like, oh, you slept with a nerd. Oh, think before you? you post, kids. Exactly. It's not just a fucking dumb catchphrase you see on posters. Literally think before you fucking post shit online these days. Exactly. Online harassment is very fucking real. Yeah. And if you're angry or something, write a letter. Write it and just burn it when you're done. So don't say something really f- yes. freaking um, upsetting Robbie, uh, like that you can regret later. But Robbie is drunkenly distracted by noises in the backyard. He runs and walks into a hanging plant, knocks his headset off. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Knocks his headset off, but when he puts it back on, the camera's on backwards. It's, it's facing backwards yep. here. And Kirby's really laying it on kind of thick here. And Charlie's kind of inept in this it, 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 because he's really watching the movie and he's asking. He's like, nervous, and I yeah. feel for him. Oh no, yeah, I totally get it. And and she asks him, "Are you going to make a move?" And he retorts like, well, "Well, can't you make a move?" And she's like, "I kind of just did." And like, you totally get it. And they they look like they're going to have a legit, sincere moment here. They both lean in for a kiss, and they, you think it's like, "Oh, it's all going to work. Everything's going to be fine." And Trevor cocks lock. Trevor walks in. Oh my god! Fuck off, Trevor. Seriously, he was looking for Jill. Jill came, you know, and apparently went upstairs. <laughs> I even love Kirby's like, oh, you, like you, like you're supposed to hit a protector. You can't even f- find her. Like you're, like you're wonderful. At your job, sir. Yep. But he likes the parted stab six or five seven. Or, or seven or twelve or eight hundred. No, it was a stab six because they were watching this in seven. So they're watching stab six. But it could be stab seven because stab seven is the beginning of the stab six. Yeah, good point. <laughs> but Trevor clearly likes the scene, and he decides to sit down next to them, and further ruining the moment. He did not read the room whatsoever, and I love when he looks at Hayden Pettier, who's, like, giving him a, a death stare. Like, she's drilling holes in him. He's like, wait, did I interrupt something? Yep. Charlie got up and walked away. He was pissed. Yeah, and then that's when Trevor realizes, like, oh, shit, my bad, and he fucks off right away. Yep. So we, we see Robbie walking around the house, and he goes to, like, 
you know, check on his stream and see if everything's going fine here. But that's when he realizes yep. his camera is not facing forward. He's like, wait, what's going on here? And he ends up turning the camera around, realizing, oh, it's on backwards. I'm a numbskull. Ho, ho, ho. Puts it on, and he, he checks his phone to shake, make sure it's going fine. But the that's door when he opens. I love that little reveal. He looks at his phone, Ghostface is there. He lowers his phone, Ghostface is there, st- and stabs him. Right in the chest. Just starts stabbing him in the back, you know, down the driveway. And multiple times, and, and, and Robbie says, like, wait, I'm gay. I'm gay. He tries, hel- he tries to reason with him. This rules. I, I, I'm gay. I'm gay. I if mean, it helps, and he's like, does it? And Ghostface, stabs him anyway. Ghostface does hesitate for a moment. This, it does the Michael Myers uh, head tilt right there. Like, huh. yep. And then stabs him again. Yeah, it was... It was Deb Seven. Seven, because it had... Uh, yep. Okay. So, Mystery salt. Yep. But Kirby hears shit, so she turns the TV up, the TV off, goes to investigate, but Jill comes back down from downstairs. So like, I didn't text Trevor. Yep, saying that there was no text, saying that Trevor just went upstairs to look for you, so it's like, we don't know who's going anywhere. But they get a knock on the door, and it's Sid. She arrives. They go to leave, but then Robbie comes up Stumbling, bleeding to death. And he just... T- his- one good, like one really good thing in the movie. He tells him to run, run, and he collapses. And Ghostface comes running into the house. After and, and this is a stunt here that, like, I hurt. Like, I feel pain because, like, they run up the stairs. Ghostface grabs Sid by the ankle and he yanks her down. And then Ghost, uh, then Sidney retaliates by kicking him. And he like lands. He flies back with, but he lands knees first on the floor before hitting face. And like, I just feel that in like my knees and shins that moment. Like, I, I just Oof. feel like, ow, that hurts. Ow. But they go up into Kirby's room, lock the door. They go out the balcony because there's no other way out. So Sid has a plan. She asks Jill for her phone, asks, tells her to hide under the bed. Yeah. So, you know, Sid, don't make a sound until I come out. So Jill goes and she freaking hides. Ghostface barges in, sees the, the balcony door open, follows Sydney out there. Sydney's on the roof. Talking. Lo- looking downward, saying, oh, you, are you good, Jill? Now, now run, you know, get help. At, you know, distracting Ghostface, yeah. trying to pull him away. And so then Sydney makes a, a beeline across the rooftop and everything, yep. trying to get back in. And she di- also makes a phone call at the same time. But while she's distracted, if this happens, Ghostface goes around the house and clotheslines her while well, she Sydney's gets a hold- talking to Dewey. She manages to get a hold of Dewey first, tells him that they're at Kirby's. So Dewey right then, you know, all units to, to Kirby's house. The cops are en route. So... Uh, Ghostface attacks Sid, who's hanging on the fucking gutter. She falls down, but she manages to, you know, get away for the time being. Cops are on the way at this point. Yep. Sid gets back in the house. You know, she runs into Kirby. Uh, Kirby tells her she tried to call 911, but the landline's dead. Right, so they end up going to hide in the basement because yep. they hear a killer approaching. They hear footsteps, so... They okay. presume that it's the killer. So they, may, they, they go real quiet, and they go downstairs, they try and make their way out of there, they go lock into, themselves in. Yep, they go into, like, a little room. I guess she's got, got kind of, like, a split-level house because it leads to the, the backyard, Yeah, this one room. And out there is Charlie, and he's got... Blood all over him. He's got blood all over his hands. Very a la Cotton Weary right there. Yep. Claims that I found Robbie, but Sid even says if you if you can't trust him, don't open the door. Don't open the door. And, and here Kirby's so conflicted, like she's starting to cry. And she's like, "I'm sorry, I can't do it." <clears throat> but then Ghostface comes from behind and just beats the shit out of out of fucking Charlie. Charles is his inner bark wickedness trying to kill him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Dewey and cops still rushing on the scene, and now Charlie is tied up in a chair, duct taped in a very familiar position, much like. 
Stephen Orth from the one first of the first screen. two murder victims. And that's when Kirby's phone goes off and gets a call from Charlie's phone, it's, and it's time to play a game. It's, it's time to play the game. It's time to Dun-dun-dun. play the game. It's all about the game. Sorry, that's my terrible Lemmy impression. Yep, but Sid basically says, keep him talking. I'm going to go find Jill. Keep him talking. <laughs> She has her thermograph vision, you know. Thank you. I'm so glad that we were in so into that moment, that RoboCop reference. Yep. So he starts with all these questions, you know, the warm-up question, which Jason's... Signature weapon. Machete. machete. Michael Myers. Butcher Bush knife. knife Leatherface. Chainsaw. chainsaw. So, Freddy Krueger, you know, well, razor hands. Razor, in the movie that started the slasher fingers. craze. Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, or Psycho. And she Psycho. says, none of the above. It's it Peeping Tom. Up by Michael Powell. The movie that ended Michael Powell's career, if you really think about First it. First ever movie to put the killer in the character's POV. Right. So Kirby's like freaked out. She's like, just me one more. What? Okay, just one more. And this is where we get the thing from, from the from Those the, the trailers. Nola trailers. Name the remake of the groundbreaking horror movie in which, and that's when she just, in which the villain, and as she just starts listing shit over and over. And it's... Like it's ridiculous amount of and it really puts into the context how many fucking remakes, remakes have happened in less than ten years at this point. Yes, I mean it's okay. Like the only things you you had for horror movies in the early aughts, you had remakes, you had the Saw and Hostel movies, and J Horror and like the Grudge and the Ring movies. Like that was it, and like that's at least on the American side of things. You had stuff internationally. You had like. Things like Ichi the Killer or um, Audition and a lot of Takeshi Meek movies and a lot of Korean movies and like Old Boy. And even though like some people say Old Boy is not really a horror movie, I think it is. And some so, people say Terminator isn't a horror movie. I think it... Terminator is a horror movie. Terminator is, Terminator is the best remake of Halloween. That, that's how I kind and of justify the, it. It's the only movie that I've ever that has ever been the, the, uh, the framework behind me dreaming that I died. Yes. Twice. <laughs> I've been killed by... Michael Myers more than I've been determined, but you've been di- you've- I've been stalked by Michael Myers, but I've only ever been violently, gruesomely killed by the Terminator in yes. my dreams. But the point is, that, like all these remakes have happened, and really, just like wow, like it's really ridiculous how many have happened by this point here, and the fact that Hayden Pate was able to rattle them off right at the top of the head like that is just really impressive to me. Mm-hmm. But Ghostface actually he doesn't respond, and you think like so. Got it right. Does the ghost face just kind of yeah. give up? They're looking at Charlie. He's fine. She's like, I got it right. I got it right. She goes to leave. Sydney gets up in the bedroom and Jill is gone. Jill's gone. So Kirby, you know, leaves the house. She she goes to untie Charlie right now. Charlie, I won. I fucking won. I tried to beat him and I won. But they start to hear a commotion in the bushes in the back. So, so, so uh, Kirby uh, hurries up. And, and Charlie says, Kirby, this is making a movie. He has a knife in his hand and he stabs her. Yeah. Four years of classes, and now you notice me. Okay. Charlie is revealed as the killer. Fuck you and your Mr. Nice Guy bullshit. Fuck you. It, it is so just, it's just like kind of like a friend zone kind of like justification why he, he's willing to kill her. Bullshit. Uh, well, as we will find... It is, but at the same time, it kind of isn't, because as we will continue finding out, there seems to be more of a grandmaster plan to all yeah. this. But I just, it just, like, just, it's just that kind of mentality, like, oh, I was friend zone and everything like that, and I just, like, it's just very irksome. I don't me. think that was why she got killed. I think she got killed because it was part of... A grandmaster plan. The grandmaster plan. I think that that and was... Grandmaster I, Flash was part of it. And the Furious Five. 
Don't push him because he's close to the edge. <laughs> They're trying not to lose, lose their heads. Head. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how. All right, fuck this. I'm not <laughs> But I, 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 that's, I, that's usually Dakota and I's thing. We will end up start saying multiple times throughout our podcast. I, I, I think that was incidental. Yeah, and I think like I don't. I don't think Charlie. As we will find out, I don't think Charlie really liked her. I think that was all just kind of a ploy. Okay. Cover. And so Sydney's going back to look to see if Kirby's still alive. She's she goes not. back to the basement, but she's grabbed by Charlie. Yeah. She's got the knife to her neck. And, and, and this is like, okay, weird here. Like, it, like it's just like, you think you're the star and everything like that. And I love how Sydney's just like, listening to hear him out and then throws him to the wall. Yep. But that's when she gets stabbed by Ghostface. Yep. Sydney got stabbed. By Ghostface that's suddenly Very shorter short. than her. But Ghostface pulls off the mask and it's Jill. Jill is the second killer. Now you're groaning, and well, Jill pulls a, uh, I, a webcam out of her mask. I'm not Jill's the killer. Now I'm not groaning at the fact that all that the performers of Ghostface throughout this movie have been at least three to four inches taller than Sidney Prescott. Now suddenly shorter. Well, that shows that. Um, Jill may not have been doing most of the kills. Charlie might have been doing most of the grunt work. Oh, yeah. I think at least... I mean, it's, it's clear that Charlie killed Olivia. That's a damn sure. Well, obviously. <laughs> Charlie attacked Gail. Um, I would say Jill killed Marnie and Jenny. You think? Because Jenny's the one who slept with uh, Trevor. That's true. But at the same time, too, well, we're going to get into their master plan. At the same time, too, did that really matter? No, but I feel like how she, because, okay, as we find out, is that they're remaking their version of the Stab movie or the Scream movie where that Charlie is Randy and Jill is Sydney. Sydney, And yes. that Trevor is going to be Billy. Billy, and they're going to pin it all on him. But yeah, this is where the this is where like the the reversal of everything goes is that the killers are the ones in this in this in this meta remake representing the innocent ones, right? You know, they're tr- they've planned everything on Trevor. They're trying to you know pin it on him so that they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And apparently, they are you know because what the fuck words words words. This is so it, – it's very strange yeah. to, to say. Like, they, they clearly are, like, in, it to, in cahoots. Like, they do kiss each other. Yeah. Charlie and I, I assume and they've consummated their relationship there. Yes. I, I guess she influenced him on it the same yeah. way Billy influenced Stu. Right. It definitely – because Jill is, is shown to be the real the brains behind the situation mm-hmm. here, the, 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 uh, the crime wave that's going on. And so – Which is why I feel his liking Kirby – is bullshit. It's just a cover. Okay. Because he's really, her, you know, being mad about Trevor is bullshit because she knows she's going to use him as the, the patsy I think anyway. that's genuine. I think she genuinely has hatred towards Trevor because I think it's why she shoots him in the balls before she caps him in the head. Now, do you think that's because he legitimately broke her heart even though she was fucking around with Charlie or because she... No, I think she fucked Charlie after what Trevor did to her. Well, it makes you wonder how far back this was set up. True. I mean, this this is the point of the speculation. We can have these kind of uh, conversations here. Or do you think like Tre- her 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 and Trevor were supposed to have a, a better relationship, like Billy and Sid, but he kind of deviated from that? 
and almost ruined her whole plan. No, I feel like because what we find out is that later that Jill also kills Charlie, that she wants to have the sole credit for, she wants to be the sole survivor, and well, the story is better that way. Yes, Charlie believes that he gets to be Randy in this one, and that Randy's finally going to get the girl. Yeah. And when the two of them, you know, he gives the the, the gun that they, that uh, I guess Charlie stole from the cops. Yeah. Because there was a gun, you know, involved in, from, mm-hmm. from Dewey in the original. Right. But, yeah, Jill, you know, fucking got, a bit she got, says, I am not the girl you cheat on. She then shoots Trevor in the balls. Trevor was tied up in the fucking closet. Yeah. Uh, they've got time. They've planned out, like, almost everything to a T, and then she shoots Trevor in the fucking head. Yeah. With the whole idea being that, like, you know, Trevor will have tried to kill them, but they, you know, shot them. Mm. So in keeping with the remake theme, Trevor is this generation Billy Loomis, and like we said, they're Sid and Randy. Yeah. Except Randy gets the girl. Right. And how through the Stab movies, you know, people heard about, what happened to Sydney? But now they're really going to see it because they're going to upload all their yep. murders to the internet so we can live on forever. Yep, and, the, and Jill is doing this very much for fame, you know? So they kiss, and then they go to do much like Billy and Stu, where they fucking, like, stab each other and, to show wounds, to show that Charlie they struggle. And is, like, getting ready. He's getting himself amped up for, like... Like, do it up, do it. Just like, like Billy and Stu. Yeah, and then she's like shoulder stabbing the shoulder, shoulder, stabbing the shoulder, and bam, He's, she stabs him in the heart. Stabs him in the fucking heart. Yeah. And Sid reminds, just like Billy and Stu. Yeah. Billy uh, Billy had to have a partner. Mm-hmm. So Jill, behind Charlie's back, set it up where Charlie was the was going to be the partner. I mean, he really is. Yeah, the Charlie and Trevor are the ones that are really doing this. Because she says the media loves is a fucking sole survivor. Just mm-hmm. ask you-know-who, you know? Trevor was your partner, but you were the idea man. So she then kill she betrays Charlie and kills him. Yeah. So, you know, Sid is there asking, you know, why we get the whole fucking speech about how her her this has never been about killing you, it's about becoming you, because Sid's trauma made her Famous. Famous and made her like the star of the family and how Jill was like the forgotten kid and how hard it was, you know, growing up around that. Yeah, cause, uh, let's assume I'm going to make two assumptions. One, that's 15 years since the events in the first Scream, okay? And that Jill's 17 here. So she was two years old when the events of the first movie happened. Yep. So, she, like, her whole life has just been reminded of the fact of Sydney's yep. trials and tribulations. And she even says how, like, everything's on the internet now. You don't even have to fucking do anything to be famous anymore. You just have to have fucked up shit happen to you. Right. And she's like, I don't, I don't want... She wants fans. Yep. And she is a precursor to influencers she's a precursor to instagram celebrities and how you think of the fact like how did kim kardashian really become famous yes she is the daughter by of fucking ray j exactly <laughs> how did paris hilton become famous by fucking uh, shannon doherty's ex-husband yes and so and like it's like and like how logan paul's gonna be uh, infamous because he what he filmed the hanging bodies in japan Everything. It's like really twisted things that they do in order to garner some kind of semblance of fame here. And that's what you're doing. And it's so, this movie's become more, I guess, prophetic going on, going forward. And I think, I guess this is one of the things that is just, it was ahead of the curve. And it's something that, it like, technology-wise, like maybe we'll advance something past iPhones and Blackberries, what have you. But I think this movie's still going to be relevant and I think it's not as dated as compared to oh, God, no. Scream 1. Granted, we're not 
nearly 25 years out from this. Well, Scream show. 1 was also a little more ahead of its time because I, I, in my recollection, I remember teenagers having cell phones, mm-hmm. you know, in 1996. Right. So Scream was, Scream was trying to be – Scream was like RoboCop. It was trying to go a little more forward from where it actually was. Right. And, I mean – Definitely, it's so funny then because I, I used to think back then, no, oh, kids don't have fucking cell phones like that now. And then I look, and then I look back at it, and it's like, God, those phones are so fucking old. This is so dated, you know. Yeah. But Jill then you know stabs and Sydney, Sydney again, and Sydney collapses, not moving. And I really believe that she fucking killed Sydney. The whole theater, I remember that, like, was on pins and needles at this point. They're like in disbelief, like, no, no, she's not going to get away with it. Yeah. And now Jill has to make this look real, so she has to damage herself. Yep. So she she cuts off the duct tape that she tied up Billy uh, Billy well, <laughs> she tied up Trevor with. Yeah. I almost believe her. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Jill also even said going on that before we move move on. Jill even said I had to, I had to you know do I even started to believe my own lies. Like my own mother had to die for this. Right. Like, and she doesn't want to go on to be college. She just wants to be famous. Yep. So she goes over and and she we, she goes through. I guess. Pretty much what Billy and Stu did, except by herself and a little more extreme. Right. She grabs like Trevor's hand and like uses like his fingernail to like cut her cheek and like rip off, rip out yep. clunks of her hair. Grabs his hand to pull. She, you know, takes wipes the fingerprints off the gun, puts it near him off the knife. She grabs a whole. And it's fucking brutal to watch. I yeah. remember in the theater watching this. Some of the shit she does to herself and the fact that like and this one one of the things that she does to herself that you chuckle at. Well, yeah, but well, the next one she does, she she holds the pointy end of the knife up to her shoulder and then runs handle first into the, the wall, wall, stabbing herself. And she lets out a hell of a fucking scream. She kicks shit over. She's pissed. Right. You know, that's she, when she, she gets the bright idea. She sees a, a framed photo on the wall. Well, she puts a knife down next to Trevor's body, wipes off, wipes off the fingerprints. She has a frame on the wall and runs head first into it. Like you like, like, how just, was... like I'm Johnny Knoxville, and this is, <laughs> <laughs> and this is paint a picture. <laughs> This is how you get my name is Johnny Knox. This is how you get away with murder. And then she sees the glass coffee table and gets the idea. Hi, I'm I'm Johnny Knoxville, and this is Mick Foley, and <laughs> jumps backward into the fucking glass coffee table, uh, like Fight Club style. What? Oh my god! Beating himself up and in his boss's office, and she just hobbles over next to Sydney, where she collapses. But before she loses consciousness, she mimics how she's laying. There. She makes sure how to mimic Sid's exact pose. And it's it's eerie. So Special Officer Duty arrives. He's still checking pulses of people who have clearly been dead for quite some time now. <laughs> I don't know if they're dead yet. I've only seen dozens of dead people. At this point. And that's when they walk in. They see everything set up exactly as it's supposed to be. And they see Sid there. And Dewey just like he's trying to hold his fucking composure. You know? Yeah. But and Jill is... Jill's taken out into the hospital. And she sees all the reporters around her. You know, in her face, snapping photos. Asking her questions simultaneously, and one person even asked, what does it feel to be a hero? And it's like, folks, if you survive a bad event, I'm sorry, that if you survive a bad event where you people tried to kill you, how were you a hero? We don't know what happened. And, and this, I remember what? What do you give me that look for? Uh, do you remember? Do you remember? you bury yourself? About, do you remember about 15 years ago, there was that um, soldier in Iraq that was captured, that female soldier. Yes. And everyone kept, when she was returned, everyone kept calling her a hero. She was even giving an interviews. It's like, I'm not a hero. I didn't say everyone. I just, I, I survived, you know? Mm. I survived. And I mean, I'm sure her story of survival will inspire is people. To and be in, considered heroic. In that respect, she is a hero. Yeah. But 
just surviving that, even she agreed and she was in the – it happened to her. She agreed she wasn't a hero. Right. Okay. I was watching you. Like, like how are you trying to defend yourself there? People was fighting a traumatic uh, event like that. I've – dude, I, I – hey, through this podcast, I've confessed the traumatic events I've fucking lived through, you know? True. Like, Losing a sister to cancer in front of me, father committing suicide, you mm. know, that doesn't make me a hero. Makes you a survivor. Makes me a survivor. Right. And so... But it's what you do when you're a survivor. Yeah, you it's know? what you do with it. And so then we cut back to the hospital and Dewey's looking in on Jill to make sure she's okay. And and she, she's asking if, if Gail's all right. Like, yeah. And she's like, I guess we have matching uh, stab wounds and everything. Or, yep. And I'm sorry Maybe that Sydney's gone. we can write a gone. book together. Yeah. And that... And I'm, I'm sad that Sydney's gone, and that's when Dewey reforms. So, like, no. Um, She's in ICU. Like, she just may make it. Yeah. And, and like, Jill's just like, oh, shit. Dewey leaves, and Jill just rips out all the wires in her and leaves her room. Now, wouldn't some kind of alert go off? That, like, her vitals was flatlining? Line, <laughs> a, a code blue, and you would get a crash car in there? Something. I don't know. Yes. And this is when this hospital is more abandoned than the one in Halloween 2. The yeah, first it's Halloween darker two. than the first Halloween 2, apparently. And I don't even see the emergency lights on. No. And so Dewey goes to talk to Gail and sees, like, hey, the Jill's going to be okay and everything. And she's like, hey, you guys have matching uh, stab wounds and everything. She's just, if you're okay, he thinks you guys should write a book together with your matching wounds. And Gail says, why should we stab the shoulder? And But then they have that moment where she says, how did she know I was, too? And, and so two, Dewey's like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Dewey goes r- running, running for full speed. He even says, shit. And that's when Sydney wakes up and uh, that's when Jill. <laughs> Jill walks in and like, you just won't die. Who are you, Michael fucking Myers? <laughs> and that's when, like, Jill is not fucking around at this point. And it's like, Louie's just going to strangle the life out of Sydney at this point here. But Sydney hits her in the face and starts poking her in the eye and smashes her head on the fucking bed frame. And they both go over. This is when Jill starts kneeing her right in the stomach where she was stabbed. And just the oh. sound effects. The, 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 uh, of her being hit in the abdomen. The fucking blood that they, special effect they put there from it and her scream. The, like, the, the oh Dev my Campbell God. screams here is just like, it's horrific. Yep. And she fucking swings around and throws into like the medicine cat. Like at this point, how the fuck are you going to get away with this? No, like, you can't. At this point, you can't. Your plan that you killed the killers is pretty much over. No, at this point that she's going to have to just be like, I'm just a killer at this point here. Yeah. Otherwise, so, like, it's going to be found out anyway, so she might as well just lean into it. Yep. Dewey comes running in, but at I, this point... Yeah. He alerts Jill. He's got the fucking stealth of a marching band at this point. <laughs> so Jill's hiding in the closet. She grabs a bedpan and does her best Stone Cold Steve Austin impression. I'll take him here, nurse. Bashes him in the fucking head repeatedly with a as bedpan. As if he was with man. And Dewey is probably most likely crippled again. Why does he end every fucking movie being carried out in a stretcher? I think Scream 3 is the only one. And that's where he stuck tweezers in an electrical outlet. I mean, he's he. I mean, he's had more lives than John McClane at this point. Yeah. So she grabs a gun, says, "You know, this is supposed to end at the house." Now this is just silly. silly. Being meta by its own movie, realizing like this epilogue should not be here. It should have ended at the house. And Sid even said, gives her great one-liner. Call this an alternative ending. Yeah. Or an alternate ending. You're never gonna get get away with it. And that's when Gail comes in, because knowing what shit happened. So Gail tries to to plead with her. You know, says, well, what happened with the book? Oh, I guess I'll write it myself. Right. She goes to shoot her, but Hicks dives in and saves her. Takes so, him, and, like, right out of the way, and they go diving over a, another bed in the room and hiding behind it. That's when Jill says, if you don't come out, I'm going to bust the cap and give, Dewey. Give me your gun or I'm going to fucking kill Dewey. Right. Says, I'm not fucking around, so 
you know, Hicks stands up very slowly. She points a gun at Hicks. Hicks is, you know, give me your gun. So she and she's not fighting a xenomorph in this point. I can't believe nope. not made one aliens reference with it. We're referring <laughs> to her Hicks the entire time here. Yep. So she kicks the gun out of the room. Keep your hands over your head. But then she shoots Hicks. Yeah. She says, "Don't tell me what to fucking do." And now she's threatening uh, Gail to get Gail up. Get up. And there is quite a bit of a slow burn to this. And we, we do see in the background, slowly but surely, Sid, usually just a close-up of just her hand, Sid is slowly activating the defibrillator paddles right and, there. And, and it's kind of, like, kind of like in Scream 3 when Roman is looking for her and all we just see is close-ups of her. Her like, hand grabbing. pulling the ice pick, but she's turned the fucking charge all the way up. Right. Grabs the paddles and Gail says, can I just have one more word? And Joe's like, and just like, because really it's like, what, please? Clear. Clear, and that's when cynicism says clear and zaps her in the head with with both fucking paddles, and that's when she, we get the great line. You forgot the first rule of rule makes remakes, Jill. Don't fuck with the original. And like Gail's like, oh my god, I can't believe that just happened. And they go and check on Dewey. And Dewey's like, are we? <laughs> what hit me? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of one of my favorite lines of a comic book. It's at the beginning of the New Fifty Two, where Green Lantern's like. There's another alien. I'm going to go check on it. We know it's Superman at this point. Like, don't worry, Batman. I got this under control. And Superman zooms out of the building and clocks Green Lantern and knocks him silly. And Hal Jordan kind of like sits up like, did anybody get a number of that train? <laughs> but they all sit down together. Everything seems to be all right. But we see Jill's, Jill's hand moving towards a very short, a big piece of glass. Right. So, you know. And Jill gets up and is approaching she, them. We know that, but they don't. Well, Dewey says to Sid, she was standing right behind me. And Sid says, they always are. Sid grabs the gun, turns around, and fucking shoots her dead. Yep. Like, Sid almost has a sixth sense for this shit at, at this, this point. At this point, yeah. And now, like, okay, now she's dead. Yep. And Sid defeated the killer this time. Sid, Sid fucking lays down next to her. H- you know, Hicks climbs up and says, nice one. And Gail's like, Hicks, you're alive. She opens up her police shirt and says, Wear your vest, vest, save your chest. chest. And, then and then faints. <laughs> In a very dramatic fashion, but it's funny. Yep. So Dewey gets on the radio. We got two officers down, several injuries, and a new suspect. And then he passes out. And he fucking passes. Cause he's got a concussion. He just passed out. That's not good. And apparently nobody can fucking hear this. This gunshots, all this, this gun shit, this screaming. And, and like, where's the, the, where's the staff? Yep. So Gail runs out. We need a doctor. But then Sydney, looking... Jill's dead body right in her open eyes says, I don't know about you, but I feel a whole lot better. <laughs> so as the movie concludes, we, we uh, get reporters from, you know, the hospital, outside Claiming the hospital. the fact that Jill is a hero here. Is a survivor. Our survivors are now being called the Woodsboro Massacre Reboot, Jill Roberts, the whole world of no name, who single-handedly put a stop to this 21st century Woodsboro killing spree. Yada, yada, yada. A girl who lifted all our spirits tonight. You know, so Jill basically got what she wanted, but we'll see how long that actually lasts. She never got to the, the reap the benefits of her fame. Her 15 minutes. Yeah. And that is the end. Yeah. That is Scream 4. I almost said Scream 3 a second <laughs> ago. And so, yeah, I mean, let's get into some delete scenes and then the mobile game that came out of it, and um, and then we'll wrap it up. Well, yes, there were quite a number of uh, delete scenes. There also was an alternate opening. Yes, and with the alternate opening here is this kind of the same conversation up until that Marnie and Jenny are in the entire room at the same time where Marnie goes into the kitchen to make stuff to because they agree to watch Stab 7. Marnie's in the kitchen getting stuff ready, and Jenny's on the couch, and Ghostface just appears there in the doorway of, like, the patio, 
and walks over, and like Marnie's like, oh, my God, ha-ha, not funny. Well, like, it, it began with a little bit of a deviation from um, when Jenny went upstairs to investigate, mm-hmm. and then she prank called her, and he heard uh, Marnie's voice, you know, like, <gasps> and the line being cut off. Yeah. She went back downstairs, and Marnie was playing a joke on her. Right. So that's where it continues with them making the food and everything. Right. And then Marnie believes, like, ah, oh, this is just another joke again. And then that's when Ghostface attacks Jenny and starts stabbing her violently right there on the couch. And Marnie thinks that it's still just a joke at this point. Because Marnie's standing behind the couch, so she can't really see everything that's going on. She can't see, like, the knife make the fucking penetration. Impact, yeah. But then that's when he goes is done with her and runs after Marnie, chases her around the house, slits her throat, and that's it. Yes. And then we then another scene is the follow up at the house, seeing their bodies that Marnie's hanging from the uh, ceiling fan, much like uh, Drew Barrymore in the original. Right. The only difference was she she wasn't like gutted. You yeah. Know? Um, and then they, they, I forget what the hell they wrote on the wall there. Um, they wrote in blood a message to um, I guess the the cops at that point, and it was. Just, really gruesome right here and i kind of well yeah actually yeah um they wrote on the wall what's your favorite scary movie mm-hmm. and um jenny her her she was duct taped to a fucking chair just like steve yeah so that's what that was you know really supposed to that's what that was really supposed to represent yeah and there is a brief cameo of west craven as a coroner as there. a coroner there um there was also a scene very, very. This see this one should have stayed in. Where outside the police department, the you know the new teens, the new cast, yeah, they're sitting by the fountain mm-hmm. discussing everything, much, much like how it was in the first scream. Yes, and like I like this scene, you know, like well they're wondering where Jill is, and they're talking about how you know you two got a phone call, and and basically talking over their connections to the the victims, much like in the original. You know, where was Trevor last night? Oh, I was at home. Seemed like a baby. Like, oh, yeah, that's a great alibi, alibi to uh, live by. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie decides to be a pervert, you know, to, to um, Olivia. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, sure, that will that will win you in the good graces, everything like that. And it's just a great moment because we don't have – this is the only time we have all of them, with the exception of Jill, in the scene together. Yeah, it's the only time we have the new generation, you know, of characters here. And maybe it was cut for pacing reasons. I don't know, but I, I kind of wish it, this stayed in. It, I think it was really necessary here. I definitely do too. I mean, they make comparisons to how like uh, Sydney leaving the character leaving the Stab franchise is like is like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis leaving Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it, it was a cool scene, right? I don't. I don't know why they fucking cut it. I, I, and it is under two hours, like here, and so like, and like Scream Two, that was two hours in length, and like, sir, I know like the the general rule with them is like you want to have a horror movie around ninety minutes in length. The longer it be, the less it, impactful it has become. I mean, I guess you can argue the exception being The Shining, but it's rare for a, movie, a horror movie to be over two hours in length. And I, I don't think that these scenes that were cut out here would have been that detrimental to the runtime. No. I mean, we, we also already discussed the um, the whole little extended bit of uh, Principal Hembree's bust right before. Like, that, was, that wasn't that was even cut. That was more of a, just a trimming. Yeah, that was kind of like almost completely omitted at that point. 
And yeah, and we have more things about the Woodsboro remake and everything. And it's just like majority of them, when we watched them, we were like, okay, you know what? These should have stayed in. There should have been more of it. And then we have like we have Dewey doing a test with like the response time on the yeah, police officers little, and everything. Uh, ah. I, I I mean truthfully, like I do feel that like some of them could have been cut. Like that one, the, the Dewey test, yeah, like that's fine, and everything. But but there is one really good one which I wish they would have fucking left in of uh, Trevor visiting Jill in the hospital. After Jill in the, the hospital ha- after the first attack. Yeah, like he stayed by her side. Well, he stayed in the hospital. He was still there, so you know he went to go talk to her and. She's really, she, she's really like frazzled by this, frazzled by this whole thing. And, but Trevor, he comes off so genuine here and so caring that he's really concerned about her well-being. That like, okay, because the entire movie, everybody's like, it's kind of like Trevor has go away heat. Yeah, and this scene kind of validates like, oh, this is the reason why he's in this movie, even though he goes from sweet to. Menacing, a really uh-huh. abruptly. But he, you know, he's trying to. She does confide with him that like she doesn't want to be like all fucked up like Sydney, and you know. Yeah, that she's trying to not be like that. She's trying to put the suspicion off her any way possible, and that's that. That's what I guess this this scene would probably work better on the second viewing. It's kind of it's much like how. We watch Scream for the second time when you know that Billy and Stu are the killers. And so you watch their interactions with everybody else a little more closely to see what they would be like. And I think this is just a very important scene here that they needed to be she wants uh, connected. All, yeah, she wants this all to end. She just want to be a victim. She just wants to get out of the town. She's showing you're, that she has bigger aspirations than this like one-horse town. Which we know now is a fucking lie. But the moment that changes everything is when he says to her, you're not going to be like Sydney. You know, you're not a victim. You're not going to fall. Sometimes lightning strikes. That's when uh, Jill stops him and says, that's a line from Sydney's book. You and told me you didn't read it. Right. So that and he says it's just a fucking figure of speech. So he's he's like kind of caught her in a lie, you know? Right. And she even accused him. Is this why you're back in my life because she's there? Like, like that you're just using me to get to her? Like, yeah. Like, to have like, am I, interaction am, with her? am I just this? Like, am, like, am I just, you know, uh, am I just... What you, um, what's the word, project her yeah. to be? Right. And that's when he starts getting mad. Like, he's getting angry in the hospital. I almost think that, like, when I watch a scene, that you're going to see, like, security coming by. They see him yelling. So, but that that really helps in the favor of Trevor being the fucking red herring. Right. It really does. Mm-hmm. There's also an extended ending. It's It's... It's more Dewey being goofy in the bed afterwards the following morning. Yeah. It could, I like how this movie ends with just them. It is very. It is a, quite a bit of an epilogue, which I'm usually a fan of, but I kind of feel like it doesn't add anything. No, and I like the note this movie goes out on, the, the, because it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, the fact that, like, Jill wanted to be the hero. She got that, but at a price that she will eventually be well, she, found out to be the killer and the mastermind behind she, the whole time. She got that, but she didn't get away with it, basically. No. <laughs> I guess it's the proof that a crime doesn't pay kind of thing. But, yeah, basically the next morning, you know, Dewey's bringing a thing of fucking... Dewey's bringing a thing of fucking flowers to her I'm, with the bandage over his head. I remember we were making the joke. It's like, I guarantee you it's just a bunch of, like, onions he pulled out of the ground with, like, big dirt clumps underneath. Like, it's a fucking radish. <laughs> Rhubarb. <laughs> yeah. 
because that would that would be what Dewey picks. And yeah, I got you these flowers. Oh, Jesus! Christ. I put them on my hamburger. We but apologize to any special needs people out there. I do anyway. Oh, I do too. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's it's. It's like I said, it's an epilogue that goes nowhere. They talk about Sid and Gail writing a book together, and they both kind of just, you know, nah. laugh off. Nah. Yeah, offers it, a, Dewey offers a lemon square. No, yeah, just a ridiculous. And it's like, I guess that like, you want a, you want to end with them because they're the originators and everything. But like, I like to know how it goes out on with the. Oh yeah, you know. But yeah, so it's um. But the, the pretty much now, yeah. What are your feelings on Scream Four? I think it is, even though the Scream 3 is conclusive, I like this addition into the franchise more than Scream 3. Now, a friend of the show, Jeff Connell, he likes this better than the original. He likes this better than that, yeah. And some people say this is their favorite sequel. And then my friend Justin, his feelings towards this franchise goes in descending order. Really? Yeah, this one being his least favorite. And I think as... It's almost like to head off of the past. Like you can't really like we brought it up before. You can't remake this because Scream Four is a pseudo remake of the first one. Yeah, and so it would be a what's the phrase that was in Pulp Fiction? Oh, an exercise. A mushroom in fru- cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. No, no, no. Exercise in futility to remake Scream. Yes. What about you? Um, no, I definitely like this movie. Um. I do feel like if you're, like you said, the story of Scream 3 is so conclusive, and that's my favorite thing about it, and why I respect the Scream franchise so much. Mm-hmm. I do feel like if you ever are going to revisit it, coming back, you know, a decade later, something like that would be good. I was kind of sad that there was, like, no real mention of the other two sequels, Scream 2 and Scream 3, mm-hmm. how, like, Sydney's just like, oh my god, it's ha- I thought it was all over when my fucking half-brother was, you know, killed or whatnot. Yeah, it definitely seems like... They try to skirt past that detail. I thought, when they were talking about family and stuff, I thought to myself, like, oh, my God, was Roman really still alive? Is this his, like, you know, bastard brother coming after? Is right. This... You can't see me right now. I'm literally struggling to get the words out mm-hmm. because while I do feel that everything with what they were trying to do with making this a meta, you know, remake and build it on the framework of a remake works – just the I, I feel like the notion of like the killer being the jealous family member kind of falls short for me. No, because I I find that fi- works because one of the biggest things that's running through the entire franchise is a soap opera. That's a soap opera plot. It is, but at the same time too, I think of like what drives a person to fucking kill. You know, like this is why I felt the the, the Mickey as the killer in Scream Two was fucking weak. He's just a serial killer we met on the internet who goes to college. Like mm-hmm. he's not running from the fucking law. Mm-hmm. Billy, I understand. Okay, because you you know you you the town that someone in the town who's promiscuous and ruins seems to ruin relationships, ruin your fucking parents' relationship. You fucking snap and kill them, and you have your friend who's who like. We never really explored Stu's psychology much. There was the whole peer pressure. I mean, yeah, maybe Stu is like, you know, mentally ill, not just quirky. And and that was one of the original ideas for Scream 3 is that he was still alive in jail and it was his followers that were doing this, which Kevin Williamson turned into the TV show following. I get that. I get them too, being driven to kill. And it was more Billy's influence than Stu himself. 
I understand Mrs. Loomis's intent to kill. Her fucking marriage was ruined by Sydney's family. Her fucking son was murdered by, well, not murdered, son was killed by Sydney. She harbors a severe fucking hatred for the, the Prescotts, and that could drive her to kill. I understand Romans completely because he is the best, the bested son of a thousand men, you know? <laughs> yeah. Of, of all this, like, and he wanting the normal life, and it was shut out from him and how he would snap and influence all these people, you know? Mm hmm. With Jill being, you know, the jealous family member, you know, being driven to fucking murder tons of people, gruesomely, horribly, I, I feel it's like almost something you got to have a fucking track record for. Like, yes, a lot of these people were driven to kill because of their trauma, and they kept going with it, but I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like Jill's reason is very concrete. I do. I think... To go to take that step and to kill people, willing for willingness of fame, yes. I, I just, I'm just more cynical towards it, like social media influences than you are. Well, that's because I, I don't I have see- social media anymore. Yeah, social media I, I, influenced me to get rid of social media, which is the best thing for. It. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can totally see it. I can totally buy that because the fact that like you want to be famous has that really happened yet? Where like someone, uh. In the modern era, I'm telling, killed another person to get some kind of, like, online notoriety. Can we think of a case? Not off the top of my head. Yes. Uh, inner, it, listeners, has someone tried to or, you know, succeeded in killing? No. OJ's joined Twitter 25 years later. Well, I, that's a whole other fucking... Oh, that's a whole other can of worms. Oh, that's a whole other... I saw that video and I'm like, hey, like, oh my god, it was. And the thing with Charlie too, we don't like. Was it? Uh, it I mean, I know Charlie's supposed to be like a fucking play on Stu, where he's the one peer pressured into it. I guess the, the guy just nervously wants to be loved by a woman, mm-hmm. and this one loves him and convinces him, "Hey, kill people with me." Yeah, and he's a horror movie buff, and he loves the stab movies, and he lives in the town that influences. And you're, him. like, I assume he probably has filmmaker aspirations, and I think it's probably why it's probably his idea to the film it. Yeah, and I bet you, since the fact that he's a survivor and he has a sense of notoriety, he could parlay that into maybe making a movie because he's got so much heat behind him because of the fact that he was a survivor. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that was his intention. Just from a from a purely narrative point of view. I'm not as convinced with Jill as a killer, but from the from the framework of making a remake out of this, I 100 percent am on board with it. Like she's the Sydney, but there's a whole role reversal. She orchestrated all this so that in real life she would be viewed as as the survivor, as Sydney. Right. So I'm very much on the fence about the reveal of who the killers are. But overall, I'm very I like this movie a lot. Do you enjoy more than three? I don't know. (laughs) I've never been asked that before, actually. I really don't know. I mean, it definitely, it definitely boils things down to basics again, which is, which is, you know, it's a, I consider that a plus, much more approachable for people who haven't, or or, or for people who may have seen the first one, but never the sequels. You could, yeah, if you've seen the first one, but never the sequels, you can very much walk into this and not be horribly lost. No. Maybe just the the whole presence of the stab movies mm-hmm. might be a little something where you ask your friend what's what's the deal with those and the fact that Dewey and Gale are married to them. Ah, even then, like you could make it a you can make it a leap. The fact like oh they had a budding relationship. Okay, they got married. You know, yeah. even though we didn't you see can make the, that leap. 
But no, very positive. Recommend totally recommend Scream Four, mm-hmm. and I think that's very much been the reason why. You know, when we decided what we were going to do after Halloween, I was willing to go with Scream because it's four movies that I am very positive about that yeah. I enjoy a lot. I have you know my likes and dislikes, my preferences, but overall, four solid movies. Nice. You, you can't go wrong with it, and they all explore something different. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's still a guy in a ghost face costume killing people. Yes, the kills are gruesome and bloody. Yes, We don't have, we don't have klutzy ghost face in this. Not very much. No. Not really. But overall, like, they all explore, they all explore in a very meta and fourth world breaking way different facets of, of movie types. So you, your original, then your sequel, then your trilogy, then your remake, you know? Yeah. So, like... And that's cool. Yeah, and I, <laughs> and I don't think there's any real place you can go with them. I've not watched. The, I've watched like a few minutes of the TV series. Like, I'm not sure when we'll be able to get to that and everything. But I just don't know how that would be able to sustain itself. Maybe I I could be proven wrong there. Well, it has actually been announced that season three of Scream. Yet at the time of this recording yesterday, it was announced season three of Scream will premiere uh, in August, I believe, August or September, and it will be on VH1. Yeah, because I think that's a VH1 original. I think. Nope, is it MTV? It's MTV. It's now being moved to VH1. Okay. Yep. Yeah, they're both Viacom. Fucking Viacom owns fucking everything. Viacom. It's moving money from one pocket to it's the, the other. It's the six six media companies and all their many subsidiaries that they use to skirt around monopoly laws. Yep. <laughs> it's moving from your front pocket. It's moving from your left pocket to your right pocket. Precisely. But at the same time, there was a little extra for for Scream Four, and now we can get into. We don't even need a, an episode dedicated to Scream extras because there practically are no fucking Scream extras. No. There, I looked up no novelizations that really? I can find. Nope. Not even the first one? I, I searched. Could not find it. That's, that's if, curious. If I'm wrong, you guys let me know, and I will track this shit down, and if I can afford it, I'll You'll get it. No Scream video games, except for what I'm about to discuss. No, I don't think there's any comic books. There ain't jack shit. There ain't even a fucking Six Flags ride. <laughs> I did... did uh, Universal Horror must have done something. Did Universal Horror? I, I don't know. Um, I will ask my friend Hunter. Like, If Hunter's listening, chime in. Let me know. Because he's all about that because he lives in Florida and he's a Universal Horror Nights like, and he's a, univer- he's a theme park fiend. So but what we have, chime in for that. What we have gotten is limited and is in the realm of video games. Scream 4 did get a video game for iOS. I bought it back in 2011 because uh, I had an iPad touch, iPod touch back then, mm-hmm. not iPad. That was when iPods were still around. That was their dying years. It is uh, – you can't even call – that's the funny part. You can't even call it point and click. It's more of a touch and move. Yeah. <laughs> a swipe it's and like move. Kind of like Fruit Ninja. We just swipe Well, that's when you do the actual kills. But you, t- you play as Ghostface. And it's got that, you know, overhead isometric view that many adventure games from the past used. And you control them, you know, by moving the screen around with with the touch pad and whatever. Yeah. And what you do is you have a series of the entire indoor area you're at. You have to kill all victims inside. Now, none of the victims are taken from the movie. They are just the your typical archetypes. They are archetypes. stereotypes because they're labeled like... The jock. The nerd. The, the 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 prep sim- and that you even have the slut like literally the slut the it's slut like, that is the name of a of a character the so slut. woke t- uh, screen for yes. a video game now as you kill these characters you get to them you kill them and then you have to swipe a stabbing motion that tells you on screen mm-hmm. and you have a certain amount of time to do it as you kill each character a cop will arrive now you can kill the cop for bonus points if you want or uh, you can evade them you can evade them the way you do it gets you you know kills if you if you're not spotted you get stealth bonuses. 
if you you know turn out the lights and kill a character, you get bonuses for that. If you kill all characters, you get bonuses. And like in most cell phone games, you vote you're graded on like the three star rating, except it's three three stabs, three yeah. knives. Uh, it has since been delisted and is no longer we available. For that we, too. we checked; it's no longer available. Uh, I what was it? The, the Scream Four Blu-ray, which I have, has the Q has a trailer for it with QR codes. Apparently, it was also available for Android. I didn't even notice this mm-hmm. back then because I had it on iOS. I scanned the QR code; no longer available on Google Play Store. So, no. Android emulator, iOS emulator. And it's not like it's a very long game. We watched the Let's Play of it. It's and like 10 minutes long. Yeah. That's how fast you can do to beat the, to beat, Nothing. Beat the game. So it's not like you're... It was like any big treasure that you need to track down in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's a treasure like opening Al Capone's vault. <laughs> and you'll be standing there like Geraldo like, huh? Because you thumb up your ass like fucking dumb Geraldo. Yeah, exactly. Now, the only other thing in the video game realm we got is that just very recently... Uh, the wonderful Dead by Daylight game, who has released awesome Halloween DLC, they have released Scream DLC, starring Ghostface. Mm. Now, I, I, I'll confess a little here. You know, I have actually not ever watched an episode of the Scream TV series, which we will be covering. Do not worry; we'll figure we'll figure it out if mm. we have to break it up into multiple parts, because this may actually help us for covering future things when covering you know TV stuff, but. Dead by Daylight was given a, you know, Scream DLC. Right. And I think it is based more on the TV show because each of the characters, they get a bio. Right. Um, And the bio is like the Michael Myers one is very, very, you know, spot on, Mm -hmm. spot on to him. However, the Ghostface one is kind of fucking strange. And it starts out, I hear, have here on the DLC's page on Steam, Ghostface is a brand new killer for Dead by Daylight. The Ghostface DLC unlocks this new killer and exclusive items for the new killer. Acquaintances are a dangerous deception. Our workplace is filled with them. Strangers beside us. Five days a week. A distant familiarity grown from habit. The blanks filled with assumptions as we forget how little we know until proven otherwise. The Ghostface took full advantage of this fact. His entourage at the newspaper could have spotted that Roseville murders that that the Roseville murders led to him. There were clues, the days he missed work, the victim's time of death, and the detailed articles he wrote citing sources he never shared. But his co-workers did not see. The ghost face blended... Wait, sorry, I lost my place for a minute. Oh, ghost no. face blended into the everyday. No one thought the man seated on, the, on their left could be responsible for the murder of a dozen people until proven otherwise. In the end, the ghost face would have gotten away with it as he had before. He would have packed his bags when the investigation pointed in his direction, driven a few miles and looked for another job. But this time he found a richer hunting ground. And it goes into even more about basically the, the quote-unquote Roseville murders. So that we're getting completely away from the whole Woodsboro story, which I know that the Scream TV Team series goes does. into. Ghostface look himself, like the mask is, the mask is, you know, the spot on Ghostface mask, but the actual costume almost takes on this weird, like, cross between, like, a, a fucking big-ass rain slicker and, like, a, a hooded shroud. Like, so, it, like, he's a mixture between Ghostface and the Hookman from I Know What You Did Last Summer. I'd say that and a little bit of, like, actual, like, the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. And, Father like, maybe, Death. And, like, maybe a monk. Yeah, Father Death. Because the costume that they gave him in the game has sort of, like, a leathery texture to it. Right. And, you know, it's 
it, it, it's interesting. It's it's a bit of an upgrade. So purists may fucking hate this, but you get to play as Ghostface and kill people. It doesn't come with a, a level though, unfortunately, mm. a map like the Halloween one did. Right. I mean, how would you? Would you just be? Would it be Woodsboro? I would think Stu's house, if anything. Yeah, That's true. where the climax took place. You know, it's got a big field you could run around in, and then you get to the house and the various places of hiding in there, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Hmm. But, but yeah, that is that is Scream Four, and I guess essentially Scream Extras, since there wasn't much to report on. Yeah. But yes, next month, I believe. We're gonna try and figure something out how we'll do this whole Scream TV series. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, we like being open with our audience. We're not it's not gonna sit here and say, "Oh, stay tuned, we got this great thing planned," and then just be like, "What the fuck do we do?" Mm-hmm. We don't know what we're doing right now. We're delving into new territory for this podcast. Yeah, but we will get there. I mean, I've reviewed TV seasons before, but I've done it both ways. I've done it like we just talk like an overview, and then I've done we've done. We've gone episode by episode of the season, and we just kind of like do like a brief synopsis, and then we just move on. And we talk about our favorite moments, and then we just keep going forward. But then again, that sh- that was for a Netflix show, so we only had like thirteen episodes versus like twenty-two. So, well, I don't know exactly how many are in this. Yeah, feels like episode. It feels like episodes in seasons these days keep getting shorter and shorter. I would hope so. I mean, like the standard network stuff is still twenty-two episodes, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is MTV. Yes, this was MTV. Ghostface has a new look. Yeah. But yes, when we next return, hopefully next month, yeah. if we continue, we'll keep you posted. It will be with Scream the TV series. Most likely season one. Yeah. Maybe season one, part one. Yeah. Depending on what we do. But the next time you hear from us, we'll be Scream the yeah, series. Yeah. And then, like, I've also put this out on Twitter and everything, and even on my Facebook, they're just saying, like, curious, like, what would you like us to cover next? Like, what kind of other series would you like us to delve into much like Halloween and uh, the Scream series. I know people said Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe Child's Play. I will do Texas Chainsaw 1 and 2. I ain't touching fucking 4 or fucking the the new prequel. Don't you want to see Matthew McConaughey going, burn! I'll just wait for his inevitable fucking public meltdown. (laughs) He's too too calm. He's all right, all right, all right to meltdown. Uh, you never know what's brewing underneath. True, or I hope it's not, if he has about that. I hope it's not as bad as Martin Lawrence's um, exhaustion meltdown that mm. he had in the nineties. They do in air quotes. I hope it's not. Who was that guy that was jacking it in San Diego? Oh, the guy who did Coney twenty twelve, and then South Park had the pair. jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jacking it. Yeah, so anyway, I hope everybody's enjoyed our kind of retrospective on the Scream franchise. We we did it. We did it. We, did, we got to the movies, but we're yeah. not done yet. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Exactly. We'll, we'll be back. Anyway, I know you're going to social media plugs, nope. so you don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, follow me at TimothyRooney2. And we have our own Twitter page for the podcast, GingerKeekBods, and everything. I kind of plug it when I, I post the episode. So The only thing I'm plugging is my CPAP machine into the wall, and I'm going to fuck the bed. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also, i got to work tomorrow. We have, a pod, we have a Facebook page for the Anything Goes podcast where I have all the updates there. Um and then there's my YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, where my latest short film, Handy, is up. You can find the uh, hyperlink in the description below if you listen to a smartphone uh, device. And uh, subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star re- review on iTunes. It really helps get the word out there. It would It's the easiest way to help support us, just to leave a review and write one, and it just like helps to be, get it out there. And 
if you're listening on one device, like we, we're now on Google Play, we're now on, uh, we're believe in like tune in, we're gain the final word on that. We're on Spotify, um, Podcast Attic, and a whole plethora of places. So we're out there. <clears throat> My voice starts to go. So I want to say, Mike, thank you so much for talking to Scream Movies with Thanks me. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, all right. And come back next time as we continue to talk about uh, geek and pop culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon. Next time, whenever that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs>